0: T-nuts. T-nuts.
1: And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment, along with Pressbox, presents Stand the Fans, Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And we are live on the Bataround, the final Saturday of November. Boy, this month went by fast. This year went by fast. Now, first of all, you might be thinking, this doesn't sound like Stan the fan. This doesn't sound like Craig Heist. Who is this? Well, I'm Bonzatufa. I'm the producer of the Bataround. And unfortunately, Stan and Craig both cannot make it today. So I'm taking care of things myself, but that's okay because this is a special edition of the bad round, It's the best of the bat around. And what I mean by the best of the bat around, we've compiled all of our best interviews from the past month, month and a half or so, and I brought it to this one, two hour, two and 15 minute segment to bring to you today. It's the off season, the MLB, so there's not much going on. And not too long in the future, we got the winter meetings happening. So there'll be a lot going on then. But while Stan and Craig are out. I'll take care of making this best of, best around, or better bat around show, pardon me, and you can watch it right here on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, or you can watch the radio version on PressBoxOnline.com radio. If you're watching the stream on Facebook, would very much appreciate it if you share the stream so that more people can see the brilliance of the bat around. Now, we have six interviews for you today. We have Nick Kennedy, who's the founder of the Million Dollar Arms Symposium. We'll get to him in a moment. we got Richie Bansells, who's a long-time, now-retired, head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles. Then we have Susan Waldman, the Yankees broadcasting partner, Greg Olson, former Orioles closer, Richard Justice from MLB.com, and Casey Willett, the former producer for the Baltimore Orioles on the radio. Now, each interview has something special about it, And I'll explain it as we go on. The first interview we have is Nick Kennedy, the founder of the Million Dollar Arms Symposium. We interviewed him back on September 23rd. And it's interesting because if you follow baseball and you know a lot of baseball players, think about how many players you know, especially pitchers that had to deal with arm injuries. It's a lot especially high school players and college basketball play- or college baseball players, not basketball. But high school players and baseball players in college, they have a lot of arm injuries. And it's sad because those injuries, especially elbow injuries where you have to get Tommy John such, it can ruin a player's career. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen high school baseball players, good prospects, end up having Tommy John surgery and they may never be the same. I've seen college baseball players, pitchers, Arm injury after arm injury, and it hampers their chances at making it to the professional league. Towson's baseball coach, Matt Tyner, had a great time in Hagerstown. Ended up not going far because of an elbow injury. It's become an epidemic. So Nick Kennedy talked to Stan and Craig about the Million Dollar arm Symposium, what it means, and why he thinks it's very important in taking care of all the pitchers' arms and helping them create a long promising future where arm injuries don't get in the way, and it's very important in this day and age. So here's September 23rd, 2017, when Stan and Craig talked to Nick Kennedy. Thank you for joining us, and you are the um,
2: originator developer of Million Dollar Arms Symposium. First of all, thanks for being on the show.
3: You're welcome. Thank you. Very excited. Thanks uh, for having me.
2: I apologize about the confusion about Central Time and East Coast Time. I was going to say, Stan doesn't know how to tell time. That's all to doing.
3: It's okay. It's, it, it was early out here, so it's no problem. All right. There, one thing we,
2: we can all agree on is never a wrong time to talk about pitching and arm injuries. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea of starting a symposium and why it's named Million Dollar Arm.
3: Yeah, thank you, and again, thanks for having me. So, uh, the the million dollar arm symposium uh, was kind of created uh, originally about a year and a half ago, and uh, I have some good relationships uh, with the Minnesota Twins. And kind of what sparked it is uh, I have about fifteen years' experience coaching uh, in the Legion baseball, kind of high school uh, here in the Midwest it's for uh, high school age kids, and. Um, We run a winter workout program here, and kids would start after like two or three weeks in the winter program. Now, it's Minnesota, so it's cold up here, right? Uh We're inside the dome. But in the winter program, they would start to say, you know what, Coach, my arm hurts. And so I'm thinking, you know what, this is just, what is going on here, right? So um, then we have, um, what really sparked it is we have a surrounding community uh, here uh, up in the Midwest where there were five in the last two years, get ready, sit down, five kids at the high school level who had Tommy John surgery Wow! in one community. So um, we have a sister project that I also created called LegionBaseballHub.com. So we use that as a platform. Um, we got some major league baseball teams involved, mostly the Minnesota Twins, uh, some, uh, some Big Ten program, uh, programs involved as well. We also had the Mayo Clinic involved. Um, I have some good relationships down there with their head trainer. Uh, his name's Dan uh, Dan Christopher. He's worked with the likes of Clayton Kershaw, some other major league pitchers, and then uh, Dr. Diane Dom as well is on the panel uh, that we had for the Million Dollar Arm. And so what I what I wanted to do was just kind of create this uh, this symposium. Um, the end goal. Is to, is to have it, we're not quite there yet, right? Yeah. Uh, is to have it where, what concussions are to football. Right. Our, our goal is to have this, you know, for for arm safety and arm care. So, to answer your question, long story longer, billion-dollar arm is, um, it, it, it just kind of came apart of all these parents today think that, you know, my, my kid needs to play baseball year-round and do all these pitches. And uh, Jim Brower, uh, former Major League player, uh, also up here in the Midwest, has a great line that he used in the symposium, actually. It says, uh, you know, don't fall in love with velocity. So Yep,
2: don't chase uh, a number. Up. Don't chase a number. Yeah.
3: Yep. Exactly. Exactly.
2: We're talking with Nick Kennedy. He's the founder of Million Dollar Arm, Uh, Nick, um, is the idea, you've done this now once in Minnesota, I I couldn't see on the video, how well was it attended? I mean, was there 100 people there, 500 people, 1,000 people? Uh, How did it do?
3: Yeah, thank you. So um, uh, we sold, as you know, with any first-year event, we're just not sure. Uh, Minnesota Twins did a wonderful job. We had it uh, outside of Target Field here in the Minneapolis area. Uh, there were actually 162 tickets sold, Okay. Uh, so, you know, we didn't know if we were going to get 28 mm-hmm. or, uh, or 500, so uh, I think for the first year event, it was great. At the last minute, we had Fox Sports North um, uh, actually live stream it that's on their fantastic. social media chair. Yep, that's yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it was good. We've been told uh, from Fox Sports North that there's been now over 15,000 views of the uh, symposium. So that's that's great.
2: That's really great, Nick. Um, Question, is the idea now that you've done it in Minnesota, are you looking to do one in Milwaukee, St. Louis, Cincinnati? I mean, are you looking to, to travel with this thing or just grow it in Minnesota right now?
3: No, we're looking to travel with it for sure. Um, The response that I've received over the past week, uh, it's been a week to the day here, uh, has been unbelievable um, from organizations like yourself where, you know, how can we get this to our city? How can we help spread the word? Um, A great line that somebody asked uh, during the symposium is, I might be jumping ahead here, but, um, is, you know, if, if there's a concussion in football or even in baseball, mm-hmm. you know, hey, coach, I mean, you know, my head hurts, I can't see, you're going to take that kid out of the game no matter what. That's where the education is now with concussions, which is just great, right? Yep. In, in baseball, you, you have a, a pitcher who says, hey, coach, my arm hurts a little. Well, it might be the championship game of the uh, whatever age group you're in. And you say, hey, little Johnny, and I'm guilty of this myself, Yeah. you know, hey, Johnny, we need two more innings, buddy. It's right. the last game, right. and so I think that's the end goal. Is what are the mm-hmm. thresholds and the protocols to use that we can try to put in play nationally uh, to educate these baseball coaches, players, and parents?
2: You know, a local writer. He used to write for the uh, Baltimore Sun and the News American here in Baltimore. Now he writes for uh, the business, the Sports Business Journal. Is Mark Hyman, and if you Google Mark Hyman's book on pitching. He wrote a book about managing his own kid, having that exact scenario, and where he chose to push his kid to pitch, because we really need you to do this. And his kid ended up hurting his arm, and it totally changed his point of view about that.
4: Yeah,
3: interesting. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I've heard, the stories I've heard, uh, even since this, uh, we started promoting this six, seven months ago, are, i now that it's out there, it's, it's, the stories are unbelievable. Everybody's yeah. coming out of the woodwork. You
5: you mentioned setting this whole segment up uh, about the symposium in that parents will also uh, will, will you know fall in love with the my kids got to play baseball year round and there are so many other people out there who tell them no that's not right they need to play other sports as well and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a, a lot to be said for that in that you're just not pushing one sport on the kid.
3: Right. Yeah, no, uh, we would absolutely a- agree with that. One thing we learned, a, a couple great stats from our symposium um, that we learned, one was from Dr. Diane Dom. She's the head orthopedic surgeon for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, but also the Minnesota Twins. She, and, was, she uh, was
2: terrific on the parts of the symposium I saw. She was great. She,
3: She was just great, very well-spoken, and um, the one thing that she recommended, hands-down number one, was to don't throw a baseball for three months. Yep. Mm hmm And so, you know, that's really hard to hear. I I can only use in the upper Midwest here, right? So uh, there's high school ball uh, in, uh, you know, in April and May, it's 38 degrees. Okay, you have that, that rolls right into the Legion season. Then you have your winter workouts, which we're in the process now of kind of reworking those with not as much throwing. So then we have this kind of August, September, October, November, which should be uh, what we'll call off months. Um, but, you know, now there's, um, you know, there's showcases, there's club teams, all those are good. What, uh, David St. Peter, the president of the Minnesota Twins, uh, who's been just wonderful in helping promoting the Legion Baseball Hub and this million-dollar arm, has a great line, and I steal it from him all the time, so I'll give him credit, is how can we help promote the game of baseball, right? So, um, you know, as we're doing this, you know, whether it's club ball, legion ball, high school ball, whatever whatever league or association you want to play in is great, but I think the education needs to be out there more of, hey, if you're playing year-round, it's going to affect you.
0: Yeah, yeah, no
2: question about it. You know, I I forgot, and maybe if he looked like Dr. Dom did, I would have remembered his name, but there was the sort of average-looking gentleman. It wasn't Brower, and it wasn't one of the hosts. He was talking about doing the work, the the mirror work. In other words, that, that of course, everybody would like to throw all year round, but he said Mm -hmm. there are other ways to improve without throwing the ball and a lot of that has to do with self-analysis, kind of looking at video of how you pitch, mm-hmm. working in the mirror on your mechanics. Um, do you remember that part of the uh, symposium?
3: I do, yes. Yeah. That is Dan Christopher. Dan and Christoffer. He, uh, yep, he also uh, works for the Mayo Clinic uh, here in Rochester, Minnesota, and also a lot of the Twin Cities area. Um, uh, Dan's, Dan's credentials and bios speak for themselves. Uh, again, he works from age groups from 12 up to uh, Major League Baseball, uh, you know, age players. He's worked with Clayton Kershaw and other Major League players. His uh, And I wanted to bring him on because it, it's a little different perspective of, uh, you know, hey, I'm not hurt yet, but mm-hmm. what can I do to help to kind of, you know, kind of the pre-, during-, and post-of, uh, you know, uh, not only a game, but, you know, how, how, how you go after it a season and what your approach. So uh, he really talks about, uh, and I've actually been through his, uh, I know Dan very well, Uh, I've been through and watched him with with Major League pitchers down at the Mayo Clinic, what he talks about and what he focuses on. And he, um, uh, don't quote me on this, but something to the tune of, he really focuses on the core and your mechanics. And, you know, they have these skills and drills to do that without just just what you said without actually throwing a baseball. right? Uh, he's got a great line which I'm sure you've heard too, you know, the core and the leg speed the wolf, right?
5: And I was just so, going I was just going to ask you about that. that. I, the first guy that comes to mind for me when you're talking about that is Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers. How mm-hmm. much because obviously his 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 wind up, his motion, his mechanics aren't necessarily, I don't think, what you would look at and say, yeah, that's the, the perfect way to go about it from a pitching perspective. But when you, when you tie in the lower back issues that he's had over the past few years in his career, how much of that, from the, from the medical people that you, you have in these symposiums, how, how much of that really has an effect on his performance, on his arm, going, you know, as he's trying to either get back, rehab from, or whatever, when he's had these lower back issues?
3: Yeah, you know what? I I have not spoken with Dan or Dr. Dom on that, so I I, I can't speak for that specifically, but I I do know uh, in talking with Dan and going through their regimen in in preparation for the symposium uh, and, uh, you know, these kids here in the upper Midwest, they cannot stress enough what it you know? Uh, stretching, uh, your core work, your leg work, and and, and it's, it's not about weightlifting, right? And this is this is what we're trying to get um, with this million dollar arm uh, symposium uh, and kind of education series. Is how do we take what what Dan is teaching, uh, and I'm sure there's other uh, facilities out there that are doing the same as well. How do we get those into the hands of players and parents so they can understand? You know, don't fall in love with a 92 mile per hour fastball, right? It's it's more about the core work, uh, your legs, uh, your mind, your nutrition. Um, yep. A big thing, which you heard Dr. Don mention as well, is uh, sleep recovery, mm-hmm. and th- those are all those are all part of it. So, we're looking to kind of package those up and uh, you know team up with organizations on a national level. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, very I, important stuff.
2: I'd like to talk to you off air. Something I've got some ideas about doing one here in Baltimore. Uh, you know, using our ability to get the word out sure. and things. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Craig pointed to Clayton Kershaw, who, in my mind, has sort of imperfect mechanics. The guy mm-hmm. that I come up with from my days watching baseball—I'm sixty-five years old—who had about as perfect of mechanics as possible. And he co-wrote a book with a professor of mine, Lee Lowenfish. The book was The Art of Pitching, was Tom Seaver. And I remember mm-hmm. Seaver being the first guy that I remember was all about the strength of the legs. being right. you know, And I guess the core went with that, but that the legs were the important th- thing. And it was so novel to me 35, 40 years ago to hear the, the legs are important to a pitcher. And Nolan Ryan, of course, his longevity, he he alluded to the legs as well.
3: Yeah, no, it's, um, in working with Dan and his team and Dr. Dom with, with what they go through at the Mayo Clinic, you know, not only for some of the clinics and workshops they put on for, uh, for players that are not injured, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they focus on that more is let us help you get your right mechanics down you know, which which starts with the, the starts with the legs. You know, obviously yep. with, with with the pitcher, you you've heard the power tee position, maybe mm-hmm. kind of an old school term, um, but you know the, the you know the in theory. I'm dumbing this down, of course, but in theory, the arm, kind of like the golf swing, right? The golf clubs are just kind of whip through at the end. So, uh, of course, I'm dumbing that down, but. You never um, so insult.
2: Wait. You never insult Craig and I when you dumb things down for us. Okay,
4: good. Yeah, <laughs> but from a golf
2: standpoint, I shoot in the low 80s because if it gets any hotter than that, I don't play. That's
4: exactly right. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> hey Nick, we really appreciate your coming on this morning. Sorry about the confusion on the time. I think we're due to have somebody on in uh, like two weeks. One of the other members of the panel, uh, and I'd like to talk to you sometime in the next couple weeks. Okay.
3: Nope, that'd be awesome. I all got right. that all set up, and thank you guys so much.
2: I, I applaud you for coming up with this idea and, and pushing forward with it. And 162 is a great first step, and I, I know you're going to push forward with this great idea.
1: Yes, thank you, guys. All thank right. Thank you for your support. So that was Nick Kennedy back on September 23rd, the founder of the Million Dollar Arms Symposium. If you wonder why Stan apologized to him for the timing issue, Stan and Nick agreed to go on at 11 o'clock. But the problem was Nick Kennedy lives in the central time zone. So 11 o'clock for him is 12 o'clock here and the show ends at 12 o'clock. So we had to readjust the timing, but we got him on at about 1145 or so just before the show ended and it was a really good interview. One thing I got from the site where they promote the Million Dollar Arms Symposium, 60% of high school pitchers have debilitating arm injuries. 60%. That's, that, that, that's sad. It's really sad. Just imagine how many players have bright futures and it's cut short because of arm injuries. I mean, Nick mentioned Tom Seaver. Nolan Ryan was mentioned. Seaver pitched for 20 years. Nolan Ryan, as some of you may know, pitched for 27 years. He started in 1967 and retired after 1993. Not many players get to play across three decades like that. And of course, Nolan Ryan won the most well-known pitchers, especially when it comes to his strikeouts. So Nick Kennedy's doing a justice here by teaching these people how to prevent your arm from further injury and as a result, furthering your career. So much credit to Nick Kennedy and that group for the Million Dollar Arms Symposium, and we wish them the best of luck with whatever lies ahead with that group. Now, moving on to our next segment, this one a lot closer to home. A lot of public figures get the most fame when it comes to sports teams, coaches, players, even broadcasters. But there is one person, one person on that Orioles staff that deserves and gets all the love as his career being with the Orioles organization comes to a close, and that is Richie Bancels. If you don't know Richie Bancels, he's the longtime head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles. He just retired this year. You want to know how long he's been working for the Orioles in the major leagues? 34 years. And you want to know how long he's worked for that organization in general, minor leagues and major leagues? 41. That's An incredibly long time for anybody, especially a head athletic trainer, and he's got a lot of stories to talk about, including having to deal with Kyle Ripken's incredible streak of consecutive games played and trying to keep him healthy, especially the one time there was a big big brawl during an Orioles game where Kyle Ripken could have possibly jeopardized his streak because of an injury. So Richie talked with Craig Heist. This was on November 4th, so it was just a couple weeks ago, talking about Richie's time with the Baltimore Orioles organization, and take a good listen because he's got a lot of stories to talk about.
5: Richie, good morning. How are you?
3: I'm good, Craig. How you doing?
5: I'm, I'm good. I gotta ask you, and and I I can't imagine that a lot of guys in that locker room were surprised when you made this announcement. Uh, but I guess there were some some people that maybe aren't that surprised by it.
3: Yeah, I think it did kind of run the uh, gamut there a little bit. There were, there were some who I think saw it coming um, and just, you know, they saw some signs and minor discussions in that and kind of saw it coming. And I, I think there were others that were just, as you said, just I could tell by their reaction were just totally uh, surprised. or You know, it's one of those things I guess they think they would, that wouldn't never happen, but, uh, but had to.
5: Well, let me, let me go back to the beginning for you. What got you started, uh, as a trainer and how did you determine that that's what you really wanted to do?
4: Well,
3: I mean, it goes way back to the college days. Um, as a youngster, I was an athlete and this is a story actually with a lot of athletic trainers. I was, I was a young athlete and, and and a baseball player and played a little bit in college. Um, But at the same time, going to school, I had an interest in um, a medical health field of some kind. I didn't know what kind at the time, but I'd always been interested in it. Um, And uh, as my uh, uh, baseball career went downhill, so to speak, (laughs) um, my medical interest increased. and And at about that same time, actually, the profession of athletic training Uh, As a uh, you know, college curriculum and that was kind of exploding, Um, so it was just it just I was in the right place at the right time in terms of a natural fit for a profession.
5: Well, we're talking with Richie Bansells, who is retiring from the uh, athletic training field and the Baltimore Orioles after a long, long distinguished career. And and Richie, I got to ask you when you first. uh, you know, started with the organization. It was in Bluefield,
3: correct? Yeah, Bluefield, West Virginia.
5: And uh, that led to, what, a couple of other minor league stops before you got to the big league club?
3: Yeah, I went uh, actually um, right before that in 1977. I actually worked a little bit with the Miami Orioles while I was still in, in college and in undergrad school. 1978, I went to Bluefield, West Virginia, Uh, for rookie ball, and that was while I was in graduate school uh, at Eastern Kentucky University. Someone had suggested to me to just kind of have that, see if I could get a job like that as kind of a resume builder at the time. So, I was in Bluefield from 78 to 79 um, both those years. Really, at the time, did not intend to stay with the Orioles because upon completion of my graduate work, I was interviewing for jobs elsewhere, actually in colleges and universities, and As it turned out, in in 79, the Orioles asked me if I would stay on. Uh, I went to Rochester for four years and then Baltimore after that.
5: And when you got to Baltimore, uh, you were working, I guess, with Ralph Salvon at the time, right?
3: Yes. Uh, In fact, during the four years um, in Rochester, that kind of started because there weren't really assistant athletic trainers then. The staffs weren't what they are now. And uh, so 1980 was my first major league camp, um, um, working with the Orioles in Miami and working with Ralph, starting my work with Ralph there.
5: One of the great things I remember about seeing pictures of Ralph, and, and I only met him a couple of different times because I was very, very early in my career, but you, you would see Palmer and McNally on the training table. Uh, you know, and he and he's sitting there rubbing their arms down and things of that nature. And can, can you just speak a little bit of how those training rooms have changed down through the years?
3: Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> geez. Um, I mean, it was kind of a, an eye-opener for me, you know, coming from a university setting in graduate school where we had, um, at Eastern Kentucky university, you know, we had five athletic training rooms on the campus and a couple of them were very large and then to come into professional baseball and it kind of went the opposite way. And the training rooms were small in those stadiums. Um, very tiny, very little room to work, very little room to have equipment. And, and if it makes sense to anyone, the, the, the athletic training room in Memorial stadium, the entire room where we had two treatment tables. Um, and just enough counter space for some, some things, um, it was the same size as what my present office was at Camden Yards. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Um, and so, yeah, the training room, not only in size, but in in a tech, you know, from a technology aspect and the types of equipment and stuff that we were able to use here in recent years, as opposed to way back then, it changed so dramatically and so quickly.
5: Uh, in terms of uh, keeping Cal Ripken Jr. on the field, 2,632 consecutive games obviously is no small feat, uh, but uh, what was your relationship like with Cal and and knowing that there were times where, you know, he might not have been able to answer the bell. And the one time, uh, you know, when I was working back at WTOP, I was telling our, our producer Bonza about this, that you know i did i did some pieces with you back then on that and he he you you referenced the fact that you know the the the, the 93 uh brawl with the mariners with bill hasselman and him mm-hmm. getting him getting stuck on the bottom of that pile where had there not been an off day the next day he may not have continued that streak
3: yeah i mean well my relationship with cal um I'm proud to say extends beyond the field. We ended up being friends, and part of that, I guess, was just you know his his first day, in 1978, in Bluefield, West Virginia, was my first day, um, um, you know, full time on the job. So I mean, we just kind of came the whole way together um, through the system and that, and just developed a relationship. For many other reasons, also, I mean, the fact that he was one of those guys that was. Uh, more so than most other ballplayers really interested in his body and how it worked and how to keep it in condition and shape. And he was always quizzing me with questions about anatomy and physiology and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, very inquisitive, very analytical guy and we sort of enjoyed, you know, going back and forth in that. And it kind of turned into a relationship. Um, yeah, the, um, and, and, and there were a couple of times, you know, um, where it got kind of close. The off day that you're referring to actually took place in 1984 or five, I believe. And, and that was a sprained ankle that occurred, uh, on a pickoff play at second base. And yes, we, we had an off day in the sense that we played the Naval Academy the next day in an exhibition game. And, but back then the streak wasn't a factor. Um, but the fight against Seattle, the streak certainly was a factor. Um, and he, you know, during the fight got him, you know, involved in a pile that started in, in front of uh, the pitcher's mound and someone landed on his knee awkwardly and ended up having a sprained, a medial collateral ligament of his knee, which at the time he was playing shortstop is not a good thing to have because you have to move laterally from side to side. And, uh, I mean, we just, you know, he saw the doctor and MRIs and, you know, the whole thing that you do and treatment and treatment and treatment, and it just, I really had my doubts at the time that he was going to be able to play the position, Um, but, uh, you know, as we got close to game time and the bell rang, he said, well, let's just deal with it and we'll treat it afterwards and see what happens, and if I can recall correctly, we got lucky because I think there was only one ball hit at him at the game, and it was hit right at him, Mm -hmm. where he didn't have to move too much, so we got a little lucky that time.
5: When, when you're talking about a guy like him, Richie, and, and you have to treat him, how much of what he was able to accomplish was as much mental as it was physical for him?
3: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, uh, you know, one thing you do is you pick your parents wisely, you know, genetically. <laughs> you know, uh, That's the first thing you want to do is have the good genes. Um, there's a, a few other factors, I think, athletes who are highly skilled at the position they play, um, are able to avoid injury that sometimes lesser skilled athletes don't avoid. They, they don't put themselves in positions to be hurt. Um, and certainly the mental aspect of it comes into play, especially with him. You know, that the, he just had the feeling that that was part of his, and I think it comes from his dad. And I know for certain it comes from his dad, but his work ethic was just such that if he was a baseball player and he came to the ballpark, the idea was he was supposed to play that night. Right. Um, and nothing less, you know, it wasn't like, eh, I think I'll come to the ballpark, take a few nights off and stuff. And then, you know, play when I feel hundred percent ready to play. He, he just, it's, and he kind of equated it actually at times to what I do and to what other people did who worked in their workplaces that, When you go to work, get up in the morning and go to work, you work. right? Um, And that was just his mental aspect of it, you know. uh, That's just the way he approached it.
5: We're talking with Richie Bansells, who uh, has been the head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles and is now retiring. Uh, He decided to... uh, take that path in life after this last season and uh I I gotta ask you what was your conversation like with Buck Showalter when you 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 went to him and told him what what your plans were
3: well I um the first thing Buck asked me said are you sure um and I said yes I am Uh, and I was and I, I suspect that um Although we talked for a long while after that about it and, and, and what the future might hold and, and stuff, I, I think Buck kind of knew it was coming, um, but at the same time, he might have been hoping it wasn't coming, <laughs> um, is how the conversation. But it, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, Buck and I have had a good relationship, and um, uh, I think he, when he realized that my mind was made up and it was final, he kind of just wished me well.
5: Well, I know, I know you uh, have worked with some very, very good people. Brian Ebel, certainly currently, who works under you, but also you worked with Jamie Reed, who left uh, the Orioles and, and went down to become the head athletic trainer down there with the Texas Rangers. Uh, so, I mean, th- th- there have been some good people passed through that place.
3: Yeah, I mean, somebody really wise told me a long time ago, you know, if you want to be successful, to surround yourself with really good people. Um, good people as, as people themselves, but also professionally how good they are. And I've been lucky to, to, to do that. And, and we've had many others that have moved on um, from our system through the ranks. It's, it's sort of a, uh, it's a source of pride for me, actually, um, to have people like Jamie have moved on um, Brian's a fantastic athletic trainer, so everything with the ball club is going to be in in great hands. Um, there are others that have been in, in our minor league system, like uh, you know, and, and come through as coordinators. You know, PJ Mainville with the um, Chicago Cubs, mm-hmm. uh, the head athletic trainer of the Cubs, came through our system. Um, Joe Bench, um, who is at the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, came through our system. So we've been fortunate to, to have good people come through.
5: Richie, let me ask you this. In in all of your years of doing this, what are you the most proud of?
3: You know, I, I kind of had a little bit of time now to, to look back and reflect on that a little bit. Um, and, you know, being an athletic trainer, you you have to be a people person. You know, it's about relationships and trust and confidence and um I've always, you know, I heard this somewhere else, too, and I've kind of stolen it, and it's, I've always said that there's something magical that kind of happens when you put a Band-Aid on a guy. You know, he sort of trusts you for, with everything um, <laughs> the, the rest of the road. Uh, and I think it's the relationships that I'm most proud of, um, especially when it comes to guys who I had, um, and this is obviously, if you stay in it long enough, happened recently, guys that I had years ago who continue to call me and, and ask me for advice, you know, when they're of the age of where they're starting to get things like knee replacements and hip replacements, or they have children playing in sports and ask me about this and that and the other. And I, I think that's what I, the, the relationships and bonds that have been formed are what I'm most proud of that they can, they still feel a trust in me in that way.
5: Last few minutes with Richie Bansells and, and, and Richie now you, you've got another aspect of life coming uh your way and that's a, a a very positive one. I mean, I've known Carol your wife for a long long time. your two kids. Uh I, I got to ask you what are you going to enjoy most about retirement?
3: Um I, I think it's just, you know, this profession we're in um in in the way it's evolved over the years is such a 24/7 year round um thing. Um and I, I, I spoke, obviously, and sought the confidence of many of my contemporaries who have recently retired and done this. And, and they said, you just can't believe what it's like to be able to do the things that you've been wanting to do for 40 years, and now you can do them. And, and you know, you'll have to ask Carol in about a year if she's still okay with me being retired and being around more. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you though, but, I'm, I'm
5: at home sometimes. And if I'm home for more than two or three days in a row, my wife looks at me and says, don't you have something to cover?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I say we'll have to find out in the, in about a year how it goes. But I think we're just going to enjoy our time, you know, together and travel to some places that we've wanted to travel together, um, where there's not a ballpark involved. Um, and spend time with the kids and the grandkids that I have now, you know, um, uh, I, an interesting conversation was with one of my uh, granddaughters and she's uh, five. And, um, after I told all the kids that I was retiring, I didn't think she got it exactly. Cause for days afterwards, she kept asking me, she said, grandpa, do you still feel tired? And I, <laughs> we had to explain to her what retirement was. So, um, but I, you know, I just want to spend time with, with him and slow down a little bit. And, um, I still am an active athletic trainer. So I still professionally from that standpoint plan to do some things. I've, I've got some little opportunities out there, things that I can do and continue in the profession. It's just a matter of not being able to do them at the speed. I was doing them, uh, at the major league level, 24, seven and, traveling
5: you you said about the difference in training rooms back you know when you first got here as opposed to now uh but in terms of the athlete in general it it's become really a 24 seven year round thing as far as keeping yourself in shape i mean there really is no off season anymore
3: no you know when i first came into it you know in the spring trainings down in miami florida and that you know Spring training was to get in shape. Uh Um, You can't do that now. If you come to camp now, looking to get in shape, you're going to be so far behind. Um, And that was kind of part of those original discussions that that Cal Ripken and I had. You know, kind of figuring it out that it's easier to stay in shape year round than getting in and out of shape every year, and and that also sets you up for potential injury. Whereas Taking care of your body year round and staying in good condition, you can kind of avoid those injuries.
5: Yeah, it's really amazing, too, because uh, you think about guys, and we just, you know, obviously covering the Orioles and the Nationals like I do. You talk to guys, and they say, well, I'm going to take maybe two or three weeks and just kind of, you know, chill out a little bit and then get right back at it. And that's really what it's all about.
3: Yeah, and I actually encourage them sometimes to, to you know, take a little bit. There's what we call now active rest, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, I think I encourage them after a season to take maybe even a little bit more time to rest their body. You know, I think rest is also a component of fitness. So there is a way to let your body rest a little bit and mentally and emotionally rest, get away from it. Um, But at the same time, not get yourself totally out of condition. So, um, you know, that's what those guys are speaking to when they they say
5: that. Well, Richie Bansells, we have enjoyed uh, our time together, or I certainly have, uh, down through the years with the Orioles and and seeing you in that clubhouse, and it's going to be a little different not having that opportunity anymore, but congratulations on your decision, and uh, I know there's nothing but good things ahead for you.
3: Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it, and I, I too, have enjoyed every minute of the ride. All right. uh, and I'm sure we'll see
5: each other. All right, thanks a lot for joining us on the Bat Around today. Sure
4: thing,
3: man. Take All care. right,
5: Richie Bansells, and that's a heck of a career right there.
1: That is a heck of a career. Forty-one years with the Orioles organization, thirty-four of those in the major leagues. That's Richie Bansells and Craig Heist talking back on November the fourth. So now we've gone through two of our six interviews on this special edition of the Bat Round. It's the best of the Bat Round. Producer Bonzatufa here, Stan and Craig unable to make it today, hence why we're having this special edition of the bat Around as we approach the winter meetings. So we're going to take a break, and in our next segment, we have Susan Waldman from the Yankees Broadcasting Radio Network, broadcast partner for New York, and Greg Olson, former Orioles closer, coming up. But first, I want to ask you a question. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? That seems impossible, right? Well, it's not. Because Chick-fil-A has their reheatable chilled nugget trays that you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. So you can get your chicken nuggets on Friday or Saturday or your chicken strips. And you can get the reheatable tray, take the food, put it in the tray, refrigerate it. And then on Sunday, you can take it out and heat it in a short amount of time. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. Perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. So buy your food on Friday and Saturday. Put it in your reheatable tray, and you can get it all warmed up for Sunday for the football games or whatever that you have planned on that day. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll have Susan Waldman and Greg Olson. This is the special edition, the best of the Bataround.
6: What we do with our lives defines us, so consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com.
7: You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com/football.
6: There's strong, then there's Army Strong, paid
8: for by the United States Army. The latest edition of Press Box is now available. On the cover, Bo Smoka dives into the relationship between Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco and head coach John Harbaugh now in their 10th season of working together. Plus, our in-depth college basketball preview looks at all of the Division I men's and women's teams in Maryland. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Park Cell. Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study.
5: Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call
6: 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark
2: goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day.
7: Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the nottingham square chick-fil-a you can pick it up or he'll bring it to you that's
1: 410-931-0031 and we are back here on this special edition of the bad around the best of the Bat around how was your thanksgiving hopefully you got a lot of good food hopefully you didn't eat too much And hope you had a successful Black Friday, which is pretty hard to do these days. I don't know about you, but that's the last day I ever shop. I just stay at home on Black Friday and enjoy myself. So hope you enjoyed the long holiday weekend. And if you missed the first two segments we had today on the Best of the Bad Around, we had Nick Kennedy from the Million Dollar Arms Symposium and Richie Bansells, who was the head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles for 41 years and has just retired after the 2017 season. If you want to go back and listen to those interviews, you can go to PressBoxOnline.com radio, look for the bat around, and then scroll down you'll find the archives with all the previous shows and specific interviews. Now, before I go further, I do want to mention that you can come back here to Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or PressBoxOnline.com radio and watch or listen to the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show at 10 o'clock where you'll have KZ, Ken Zales, the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, and KO, Kyle Ottenheimer, talk about all things related to college football and the NFL from 10 to 12 tomorrow right here where you're watching right now or listening, pressboxonline.com radio or facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Now our next segment, we have Susan Waldman, Yankees broadcasting partner, had a chat with Stan and Craig back on October 28th, and I do want to mention At that time, we were still in the middle of the postseason and it was after Dusty Baker got fired and people were wondering, who's going to replace Dusty Baker? Obviously, we know now Dave Martinez is the new Nationals manager, but those three had a chat about that situation. They also talked about Mike Mussina and whether he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And they also talked about where Joe Girardi may go and who will replace Joe Girardi. And Susan Waldman... I can see why Craig and Stan were so excited to have her. She knows so much about the game. You can tell she loves the game and loves to talk about the game. So, without further ado, here she is, Susan Waldman, talking with Stan and Craig. Susan, good morning. How are
5: you?
9: Good morning, guys. And who are you talking about? The Washington managerial thing? Yes, or yes. We were
2: t- we were talking about the Washington job and whether or not Joe Girardi would have any interest in that, and would it be mutual?
9: Well, if, you, if you're asking me, I think he's the perfect one, but I think it's a little too soon for, to think about that. And I did, according to Wade Boggs, haven't they already offered um, that job to David Martinez? He put out some kind of uh, twit, tweet a little while ago, Wade Boggs did, uh-huh. saying that congratulations to his friend and ex-teammate, Dave Martinez, um, did you know about this? I did not know. And uh, yeah, he could be wrong. I mean, no one's ever uh, no one's ever confused him with a reporter. Well, we
5: we, <laughs> we we know we know that uh, he is certainly one of the front runners for it, and we also know that they interviewed John Farrell yesterday. So right uh, again, there's a money's a, an issue when it comes to this uh, with the Lerner family, and and it was certainly with with Dusty and Again, it's what do you got to do to keep a job anymore, Sue?
9: <laughs> what
7: do you got to well, do? No,
9: I'll tell you what you have to do, because when I heard the news the other morning about Joe, my whole mind and being flashed back to 1995 for the same reason. And Buck Showalter was fired, and then they went nicey-nice with Joe Torrey. And it's almost the same reason, because I remember that, and I don't know, you know, Buck, we, uh, the team lost that fifth game to Seattle in that wild-card series, uh, and they would have gone to the— to the ALCS and they lost that in 95 and Buck who had taken the team and rebuilt it and had all these kids and they were ready to go. And he was the one who brought up Derek Jeter and facade in 95. So, cause he knew they were going to be um, the, the future and, and all of a sudden, cause he lost that game, he was gone and they went quote unquote in another direction and in walked Joe Torre. And I see the same thing. I see it back years ago with the Celtics with Bill Fitch and in walked Casey Jones, a a different kind of voice where you're going to hear that a lot. And I think that they decided that, uh, like with Buck, he was just a little too intense, and they wanted, you know, that they want their own AJ Hinch. They want their own Dave Roberts, you know, those nicey nice guys that hug you, but do have that analytical
2: mind and will not fight the front office. So it's interesting when you were describing that and comparing it to 95, the person that came into my mind that nicey-nice like Joe Torre, is Dusty Baker. But then you threw in the word, you know, somebody, their own Dave Roberts or A.J. Hinch who works with the analytics. You don't see Baker as a fit there, do you at all?
9: No, I don't. Okay. It'll be somebody younger who embraces what they do. I mean, you know, it's wonderful, and I dealt a lot with A.J. Hinch, and he's great to be around. Mm-hmm. But don't make no mistake about it. He's got a mind like a steel trap. And when he was in the front office out in wherever it was, San Diego, he was like that. And he was the, one of the first people that I know that really embraced it. He also has a degree in psychology or a master's degree from huh. Stanford or someplace like that. And so that he has both. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, you know they're how those they stampers really are.
5: You know how those Stanford guys are. Some guys graduate in three years and become great pitchers.
9: <laughs> <laughs> and you know the only difference between uh, that pitcher's edu- uh, economics degree and mine. We're talking about Mike Messina. My first fight was with Mike Messina years ago when he uh, it was sarcastic to me, and Craigie knows this. And I said, listen, don't talk to me like that. The only difference between your economics degree and mine is that my mother had to pay for mine because I, I don't play baseball.
5: <laughs> I'll tell you the great one. The and great, what did he say? <laughs> he
9: laughed. Yeah. And we've been friends forever. I love exactly.
5: Moose. Exactly. And you know what? One of the great stories I heard about him when he first became a, Yan- a Yankee in, in 01, and, you know, Bob Shepard, God rest his soul, goes up to him and says, is it Messina or Musina? And Mike, Mike just looked at him and said, I don't care. And Bob went, well,
2: I do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you mentioned Mucina, and that's certainly not the reason we had you on. I still, it grates against me so badly how poorly he's done in Hall of Fame voting. And I looked it up again yesterday. His earn-run average for his career was three six nine six nine. Eight, six, nine. Glavin's was 3.54 in the National League, and Glavin's ratio was 1.31, Mucina's is 1.19. How is he not a slam-dunk Hall of Famer, Susan?
9: Well, because the people that are voting, and and, and 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 Craig and I have gone back and forth on this, too. The reason the, the thing they that like broadcasters them. aren't allowed to, yeah. to do this is idiotic, but whatever. Uh, my guess is that they don't take the things that we think are important, uh, besides the fact that Messina, Messina pitched in the American League East for his entire career. Yep. He pitched on teams. He pitched in that band box that you guys call home, yep. and then he <laughs> came to Yankee Stadium had to deal with everything, and they don't look at stuff like that. It's all on. Uh, you gave me some numbers. They'll give you numbers that we've never even thought about in our wildest dreams of why he's not. I would. I would vote for him if I had a voice. If yep. I had a voice in this, I would, because you. They don't take those intangibles into account. Yep. Where he was, he was always like the number one, maybe the number two when he got to New York, but always that in the American League East for years. Yep. I don't un- I don't understand it. I've never it's understood it. B- well impactful.
5: the other the other part about it too for me is that when you win two hundred and seventy games pitching your whole career in the in the American League East and you're nineteenth all time in strikeouts not to mention everything that Stan yeah. mentioned, i I, I just don 't get it, and I don't, you know they I, also
9: have a big thing. I heard this a hundred times, even when he was playing when he finally got that twentieth win on the last day of the season at Fenway. Right. I remember just say saying to some writers, "Are you happy now?" He did it okay <laughs> Yeah, right because he never you know you have to take into account the teams he was on. Um, who we, I well we we're, we're talking to the choir here. Yeah. all of
2: us. Yeah, we yeah. all are in agreement about that. So Susan, do you have anybody in your mind who fits all those criteria that the Yankees are looking for? Is it as obvious as the nose? You know, the nose on your no, face? No, it's, it's
9: not. Um, and and I've heard different different groups. And um, I had thought my first. Immediate action was that rem- was that they would go in house with someone like the rising stars in the in the organization, Josh Paul, who managed in mm-hmm. the minor leagues and has been uh, catching coordinator. And Sanchez loves him and has has a great manager written all over him. He will be a manager some sometime. He's the ex catcher and he's been in this organization for a while now. The other was the ex-pirate um, Jay Bell and Beck of course, who also is managing in the minor leagues. They both have that exactly what they're looking for, but I'm not sure. I'm, I heard yesterday that it wasn't going to be anybody in the organization. I've also heard names like um, Raul Labanus, who, by the way, if that was a choice, I'd pick him up at the airport. Yeah, um, has yeah, it all. Has yeah. that. And probably is not averse to telling you know the, the, the upstairs there's people telling them what to do. They don't want any problem with this. They don't want to have to fight anymore. Um, the the way the game is changing. It's not the game that we see any that we used to see. And this is the way it's going. And they want someone that will incorporate what they are doing, and and have a different relationship um, with the players. And you know they want someone that can um, get Gary Sanchez to the next level. Um, they want someone who can maybe help Aaron Judge, Greg Bird. Those. People, um, this is a different world. This really is. This is. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if you heard names like Abanya's, If you heard David Ross's name out there, mm-hmm. um, I'm hearing Pete McKinnon, who does not, who does not. Uh, have any of those qualities, except I guess he's pretty good with young guys, and I guess he did work with the Yankees uh, in the scouting department for a while, and, and Cashman likes him a lot and probably would not be averse uh, with the analytics department. They don't want any problems anymore. That's That's all I can think of, and they want someone that is and I won't say younger because Girardi's not old, right. and he's the same age as a Jay Bell and uh, you know those guys that they're talking about. Um, I think it's wide open. I do know that they've got a ten to twelve person list, and they're not going to they're not going to rush this. You're not going to get anything after the World Series. I wish they the other coaches um, have been told. An email went out last night, evidently to all the clubs, that they could talk to any of their coaches. So you've got some really fine men in there who um, Inclu- don't know whether they're going to be part of this organization or not going forward.
2: Including Larry Rothschild. Yeah.
9: yeah. that. By the way, I'm on record right now. That would be a major mistake. Yeah. Major mistake. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see it happening. They're very high on the AAA guy, Tommy Phelps. I can see it all happening. But... Um, as someone with the Cubs organization um, told me a little while ago, they were really sorry that they let Larry Rothschild go. Uh, Larry's terrific, and um, he's helped an awful lot of these guys, and uh, he's the one who made the game plan and everything for, for Houston and for Cleveland and did a fabulous job, and, and they will they will be sorry. But, you know, they got young kids coming up. Maybe yep. they want someone who's worked with them in the minor leagues. I hope Larry is not part of this uh, dismissal of everybody
5: susan real quick what how bad was the relationship with joe and cash coming down the stretch
9: i you know i thought it was really bad for until they started winning until they beat cleveland um, what i thought was really telling to me and you know and brian cashman is the general manager and he really believes in all of this and he's the one who put this team together okay this these are his kids they he's developed them he brought them here um, I thought when what was really telling Craig was when he made that mistake and didn't challenge, and they lost the game, you know, in Cleveland. Right. That game. Uh, what I thought was real when I really went, uh oh, was that no one from the front office said a word. No mm, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear, well, mistakes happen, and, you know, Joe said he, you know, he, first of all, he gave reasons, and then the next day he said, no, I, I, I made a mistake, and, um, you know, he had tears in his eyes on the, on the podium. Right. And it was uh, that, you know, he was sorry, and then they came back and won the game, and I figured everything was going to be okay, and then they went to Houston, and, you know, we well, one game away from the World Series. But that's when I thought things were really fractured you saw things of it during the season. There were times that um, that you knew that there were problems, that there were arguments and things. I don't know, you know, what they were about. I don't think they liked uh, the handling of Sanchez. Um, I think they wanted, you know, it's different than you know when we had uh, when we knew managers who would you know sit 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 down on the bench and and watch. But mm-hmm. now I guess you don't bench people. You have to you know touchy feely, make them feel wanted. You have to coddle them, and I think that's what they're doing. Give them a participation trophy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we never thought a thing about, you know, Casey used to, you know, I know I'm talking years and years ago, you know, he'd pinch hit in the middle of the second inning. Right. And they didn't care. You did what the manager told you. Those days are are gone. And I just wonder if it's not – That they don't appreciate what Joe did because what he did, taking a team in transition, going through all those farewell tours, people that he managed, he had to manage A-Rod, he had to manage Ichiro, he had to manage the end of Posada, he had to manage the farewell tour with Jeter, with Mariano, that's very, very difficult to do. And he did it all, and I think that he did a remarkable job. He got them to the point they were one game from the World Series. And I think they just sat down and said, going forward, do we want this person for the next three to five years? and i think they thought that this was the time like they did with buck yep. absolutely just like what they did with buck back in 95 they decided that this was the way to go
2: speaking of buck uh, and i'm not trying to, to to use your privileged relationship with buck how how happy do you think buck is right now in his situation here uh, it, apparently he and the general manager are not really close at all it's gotten worse. I don't know a
9: lot of managers and general managers yeah. that are that are that close they really aren't I, I don't know a whole lot of those guys unless they're unless they really were unless the manager was picked by the general manager I I don't see that and so, you know buck is um, you know, buck doesn't like losing I think yeah. that's the thing that's you know buck is all about winning and trying to find an edge and what to do and I think that bothers him more than anything he's handled George Steinbrenner he's handled with all kinds of people and all kinds of nonsense going on, Buck Showalter can handle anything. What so, he doesn't handle well is losing, so, and I think that's the thing that got him more than anything else.
2: So if tomorrow, the dysfunction was the, the dysfunctional smoke was cleared away, and and he and Dan were both offered three or four year deals extension extensions. Would he accept it? Oh gee, I don't know that. I don't know. I don't.
9: I don't know. I don't know that it has anything to do with another person. Okay. That's pretty strong. All right. Let's and if get he back. wanted, if he wanted to manage, he would. You know, it, you get you get a little tired after yeah. a while, and I think probably that's something that they're not going to have to not going to have to discuss, right?
2: Well, they both are up after this year. Yeah, Dan okay. and Buck are both up after this year. See right.
9: It? Well, let's just say I've known Drew Kent a long time, too. They're very different people. Yeah, very
2: that
5: different. Way. S- <laughs> Susan, let me ask you this, and you were referring to it uh, in your discussion, but this whole situation with successful managers being fired like we've seen and, and teams going in front offices going and wanting to hire managers – who are more analytical, more saber matrix friendly, and we know that that's the way the game is going. But then you look at A.J. Hinch last night, who doesn't go to the closer. doesn't uh, He leaves Peacock out there for four innings and lets him save this, the game. It was very, very similar to what Bumgarner did against the Royals in the World Series several years ago. You know, he basically used the eye test as opposed to no, you know, we got to go to our closer here in the ninth inning. Look,
9: I I watched that Houston team for a long time, and, and we just played those seven games. Their bullpen is shot. Yeah. including their closer now there's a difference between going against the front office and you know the days are gone You know, there's no George calling Lou Pennell and saying John Sutton is cheating do something about it those days are gone I think they, they trust AJ as, as a manager to know what to do in those situations Jeff Luno isn't saying you have to go to your closer there Right. He, he is, not he knows what that. When we were there, when the Yankees played uh, Houston, I was wondering how A.J. Hinch was going to get through the game. Yeah. I mean, you really were, because they're shot. I mean, Davinsky is very different than he was before uh, the All Star break, and Colin McHugh had just come back. They didn't know what they were going to get from McCullers. The only steady person they had in there, really, was Peacock, who really became, after all these years, really a revelation. Ken Giles wasn't good when he played the Yankees. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. The, other, the other guy that was terrific with him, because I know I had him on my fantasy team, is Musgrove. Yeah, when they Joe moved Musgrove, him to yeah. the bullpen, he was excellent.
9: Excellent. Well he also was hurt. so you have you have guys coming back that are trying to be careful like that. Uh, Musgrove um, still a thrower, very young, he's going to be really good and but you know those guys are I think you can use the eye test. It's not like they say you have to do this, you have to do that. but understanding what they're doing once you get into the dugout, the manager does, you know, should be able to do what he, what he wants. But obviously, in the eye test, you want to go the other way. Um, obviously, the Dodgers' sabermetrics people have decided that Rich Hill, after the second time around, uh, doesn't get people out. Right. So they took him out in the fourth inning. It came back to haunt them because Maeda didn't get it done. What doesn't get talked about in that is that this is the World Series, and maybe something else kicks in with Rich Hill, biggest yeah. game of his life. Yeah. And they don't take that into account, or they didn't that night. And if Maeda, you know, is great like he has been the, the other times, then we're not having this conversation. But A.J. evidently has the trust of the people upstairs, Jeff Luno and that whole group, and there's a slew of them. There's a slew of them up there, and um, he has the trust of them that he understands and embraces all the uh, analytics. And Gerardia did, too, by the way. So I think this is more a communication uh, problem. Gerardia was always showing me, no, this is why we did this. Look at this chart.
2: And so I go, uh-huh. two, two more quickies before I let you go, and maybe Craig's got one. But uh, we were talking about CeCe Sabathia. Has he pitched his way back into the Yankees? Uh, you know, being the team to really beat to to pull him away now.
9: I, I certainly hope so. Yeah. I, he lives here, and you know, I don't think money's going to be an object with him. He loves it here. He's raising his kids here. And as I said to him a couple of weeks before, we were talking about who should be back, and I said, you can't have everybody on the team being 22.
5: <laughs> well, right. Plus, he's overcome a lot of demons, yeah. really, and yeah. you got to give him all the credit in the world. For well,
9: also, there's, he, he was, if, yeah, you do give him a lot of credit, but he, if he, his magic finally ran out on that last game. Yep. But um, other than that game, I mean, he was 10-0 and yeah. after a Yankee lost, and he's, it doesn't matter how much you've overcome and how much people respect you and how much you mean in a clubhouse if you can't get the job done. And they still think if they still think that he can get the job done, they would they could offer him a year or a year and an option or a yeah, year and a vesting whatever they do. I think it's a mistake to let him go. Yeah. You do need a leader in there. You really do. Yeah. And you know, I know that Todd Frazier probably won't be back. That's that's tough on both sides because he was very instrumental in a lot of ways and really helped um, with the kids. Really did. He was the one who, um, was always talking to a judge and always talking a bird and always cutting up in there and being a real leader. But, you know, Todd Frazier, thirty one years old, it's the first time he's been a free agent and, you know, they're not gonna they're gonna get under the cap. That's the so the whole thing. The Yankees are gonna get under that uh one eighty nine to reset for possibly going out and getting somebody big after this
2: year. Susan, my last question for you has to do with Gary Sanchez, and, and it shows how old I'm getting. It's got to be 30, 31, 32 years ago was when Earl Weaver came back to manage the Baltimore Orioles after being away for a couple of years. I started noticing then that catchers back then, this is mid-'80s, were no longer throwing their masks to the side to receive throws from the outfield. How much of Gary Sanchez's problems, because I saw him four or five times in the postseason not be able to pick up a ball, That that especially that one uh, key play where he muffed up, um, how much of those problems are simply him being unwilling or untrained to get rid of that helmet mask, he has oh, so he can see the ball. I don't think ball. that has
9: anything to do with it. I, I think he is. I think he was playing because he had such a bad year with the pass balls and everything. Yeah. I think Gary Sanchez was so uptight by the end of the year that balls were clanging off his. I think he saw them. I just think he just was in the wrong position. He doesn't get down enough. If you watch him catching the balls that go between his legs, Tony Pena, who was a pretty good catcher, and Girardi was a pretty good catcher yeah. too. If you remember, he said. They don't get down fast enough. He doesn't get down fast enough. And I don't know whether it's work ethic. I don't know whether it's um, just not responding quickly enough. Um, but I think by the time the end of the year um, came up, Gary Sanchez didn't know whether he was coming or going behind the plate. All I don't right. think it's one specific thing because I think I think Tony Pena would have thought of that.
5: And my last one for you is, uh, I you know, I, I'm going to go on record and tell you, I think Jose Altuve is the MVP the American League me too however yeah. however, I just want to find out from you because the times that he's been to Baltimore we got a chance to be around him how much of a pleasure is Aaron Judge to be around
9: um, he's a warmer more approachable cheater will uh-huh. okay. to say a wrong thing in 20 years he knows who he is. He um, is very well grounded. He's a delight. You know, you, you talk to him, and, and I've had um, reporters from other cities say to me, is this kid real? And yeah. I said, yeah, this his, is real. His folks a guy must from the, one of the Toronto papers did an interview with him, and um, at the end of it, Aaron, like, you know and he the guy wrote it like he hated the Yankees and then he talked to Aaron and then evidently at the in, end of the interview Aaron put his hand on his shoulder and said I'm sorry I've forgotten your name I really apologize what is it again <laughs> and and I wow. said hey, no one in 30 years has ever, ever said, said, said to me that. what's your name again right. I'm sorry I forgot right that's judges he's something he's yeah. something really special he, that being said i if i had a vote i would vote for altuve too if nothing else because of the consistency
2: he must have aaron judge must have terrific parents he, really uh, he
9: does have, indeed yeah. they are around a lot and um he's brought up you know he's he's a wonderful kid and that's what i think is like jeter i'm not saying he's going to be that kind of guy but now by the end of the year it was judge um who led the team out on the field um for 20 years we had Cheater doing it, and when Cheetah retired, it was sort of a mishmash. at seven oh seven. You'd wait for somebody to run out, nobody ever did. Yeah, now, by the by, the middle of the year, it was Judge running out. He's 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 something. He's something very very
2: real. I love you guys. I love your broadcast. Uh, always a pleasure to see an old friend like John Sterling and you pass through town. How many more years you got? You guys think you'll be up in that booth? Oh,
9: John. John said he's going to pass away in the booth, and he <laughs> said that on on radio once. And I said, well, let me know when it's going to happen, and I'll go. The ladies room um, no John we're going to do it until they tell us to go away could be tomorrow I, could be I don't five wanna, years
5: I don't even want to think of that because I was <laughs> a, I, seriously I was at Nationals Park on opening day a few years back when Harry Callis yeah oh, had, oh all and, right. I didn't mean to be
9: glib about no that, no there,
5: no, right? no no not at all I understand totally where you're coming from and, and, and I would be the same way but I mean I, I was down in the, in the runway there when, yeah. I got, when I got a call from Jack Hicks our engineer yeah. upstairs oh boy and said that that's what oh, sorry happened. sorry to
9: bring that back. That's but all right. To change the, to change the subject, um, Stan, please tell your nephew that he's absolutely terrifying on the Menendez brothers. Terrifying.
2: I just spoke to him the other night. You know, you know about his new role? He's, I know nothing he, about him because I'm still upset that he left the good wife. Well. That he, I think the timing was right to get out before. And by the
9: way, his um, his 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 turn on Kimmy Schmidt is remarkable. He's yeah. so funny.
2: Did you see him on John Oliver? The thing he did no, on that? Oh, no. it was hilarious. Google John Oliver, Josh Charles, and it, it's about a five-minute piece. Very very funny on takeoff on CSI Miami, and uh, which is a uh, Dennis Caruso.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, he does I a takeoff
2: on him. It's fantastic. I, I'm still mad
5: at him because he never introduced me to Felicity Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Felicity Hoffman, she, she, oh, has she been around? Uh. Well, no, no, no they did that show in Sportsline. They were in Sportsline together. Sports together. Oh, that's right. That's well, right. That's right. That's well, right. we'll tell him and maybe he'll call her up and bring <laughs> her over.
2: I'm only mentioning this because he's in this new movie that he's doing with Alec Baldwin, and I forget her exact name. Is it um, it's Baccarat? The the absolutely gorgeous girl, she plays John DeLorean's wife, and Josh plays DeLorean's engineer. He's filming that right now. Sounds like an entertaining movie. Oh, cool! I'll tell. I'll pass along. Well, him that, he's—he's.
9: He's, I didn't recognize him because he's got facial makeup. He's got stuff on him. Right. But he's terrifying in I'll, Menendez Brothers. He's just like like a psychopathic liar, icky person.
2: I'm going to tell him next well, that's year. Kind of an offshoot of Stan, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell him next year he's got to stop up in the booth sometime to say. I hello met him to
9: once you. in the in the press room.
2: He's a great kid. When
9: and yeah. I couldn't talk because he was still doing Good Wife, and I was devastated because they killed him. I remember. Remember, he came in right after he yeah, left the show, yeah. and it, I couldn't talk because it was he, and I didn't. I must have made an idiot out of myself. But did, anyway, did, he's tremendous, and you're related to him, so you must be tremendous too. Did
2: Did, did I ever tell you the story about my social media faux pas? The no. night, the night, that, yes, the you night told, he, Yes, you said what happened. The night he got killed off on The Good Wife, right? <laughs> that ga- That show was delayed by about. Two hours because of NCAA basketball, so now it's about midnight, and I'm not even thinking. So I type in, kidding. I said, I said, without a spoiler alert, I didn't even know what what a spoiler alert. I said I just had the unusual circumstance of seeing my nephew killed oh, killed on God. television. Uh-huh. You would have thought I'd given away top secrets of the government or something to the North Koreans. <laughs> you asshole! You, you know, you, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, Suze, great to talk to you. All
9: right, guys. Enjoy your season. We'll do this again. Bye-bye. All right.
1: You could just tell how much fun they're having in that interview, and it even just makes me laugh to this day. That's Susan Waldman, Yankees broadcasting partner, talking with Stan and Craig back on October 28th. And, of course, as I mentioned, they talked about the Nationals managerial situation. Obviously, that's been resolved now with Dave Martinez or Davey Martinez becoming the new manager for Washington. We still don't know who's going to be the new manager for the New York Yankees. Still a lot of names out there, but they're really taking their time. Meanwhile, the Nationals, Phillies, and Tigers have all gotten their new managers within a short amount of time, but New York is taking a different road. Now, we move on to the next segment here with a pitcher, a closer, named Greg Olsen. He's actually nicknamed the Otter. That's how Stan and Craig always refer to him. And Greg, he has... Incredible situations that he had gone through in his career. Unusual situations. For example, imagine pitching a second inning in your relief effort unexpectedly, and you have to face the Bash brothers. Remember them? Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And then, later on in his career, imagine having the bases loaded against you. Two outs. Ninth inning. You're leading by two. And the manager tells you to intentionally walk the batter and bring in a run because the batter is just that good. Oh, by the way, that batter is Barry Bonds. And then imagine your one and only hit being a home run. This is a pitcher we're talking about, a closing pitcher. A lot of unique stories for Greg Olson. He came on the show back on October 14th. He had a chat with Stan and Craig, and you should take a listen because... The situation where he intentionally walked Barry Bonds, he had a different idea that you probably wouldn't expect. So here he is, Greg Olson.
2: Greg, thank you for joining
1: us.
4: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks I, for having
2: me. I think you remember my co-host, Craig Heist, because yeah. Craig must have had his mic in your face quite a bit in the old <laughs> days. <laughs> hey,
4: Greg, yeah. how are you? I'm
2: good. The only thing I remember about
5: uh, a lot of those uh, you know, teams were, you know, Frank, number one, Right. right, you know, and and the way he, of course, we had the why not year, and then a little after that, uh, Johnny Oates. After that, uh, you know, you know, and while the teams weren't all that great after '89, uh, still some pretty, pretty fun baseball, especially when oh, you got yeah. when you got a chance to watch this guy close
4: games out. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. It was, uh, you know, we just had the reunion for the 25th anniversary of Camden Yards, and and. Uh, had the 1992 team back, and it was, it was great to get back together, you know, um, really other than, other than Cal and, and Mike, and Mike Messina, um, you know, we got, those are the only two guys that kind of finished, finished the game well, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and you, you look at our roster and it was, Baltimore always did a lot with um, role players, you know, guys that, that the fans loved and, and they did a good job when they were in there and, and uh you know and after everybody left it was you know, the the careers didn't turn out to be what they looked like they might they started in Baltimore, you know, they can you know, Finley had a great career, never you know, never went to the high end of the of the spectrum. Um Schilling obviously finished well but never did anything in Baltimore myself, uh, blowing out in Baltimore. You know, Ben McDonald got hurt and and never finished what you know he looked like he was going to be. So,
2: Greg, you let me interrupt you there for one second. You refer to yourself as kind of blowing out in Baltimore. I mean, you you yeah. blew out in terms of the arm, but not your yeah, perf- yeah. not performance wise. That's what he's talking
4: about, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it. Uh, you know, I I, I said I, I can relate to Tiger Woods. I can relate to yeah. You lose. I lost. I lost the edge of invincibility. Uh-huh. You know, I was. I was. I was out there an invincible and uh, got hurt. And really, you know, I lost a little bit on the fastball and my breaking ball. Never, you know, there would there would be a couple of them every once in a while, but they were never the consistent. I could never, you know, after I got hurt in '93, I could never get to two strikes and 0-2 count and just go here. Here's, here's two of them, and one of them you're going to be out. Yeah. It doesn't well, you, matter, you know, if you can take this one fine, the next one's going to be over the plate and you're out, or else you're going to swing at one of them. And I never never got to that point, so then I became, uh, you know, all right, got to figure out how to get you out. And uh, it never, never was quite the same after that.
5: Well, that period of in- invincibility, uh, I was at Oakland the, the day that you uh, – uh, took down Parker, Conseco, and McGuire in order, and that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen on a baseball field.
4: I appreciate that, and that was uh, that was one of those moments where I try to explain it to people that aren't uh, in my body, and it doesn't sound very good. So. You know, it was literally. You know, I went the eighth inning and and uh, had been set up guy and had a decent month. Nothing great, but I was starting to you know kind of get my feeling of being in the major leagues. And and we um, went the eighth and was thrown you know threw really well in the eighth. And then went and sat in the dugout and shut down because Mark Williamson had been closing games. And you know, just kind of sat there. I was getting ready to watch the ninth, and you know, I did my job and I was happy and literally started shutting down and. Then I started realizing nobody was coming over to tell me that I was out. <laughs> you know, and I kind of started looking around going, I am out, right? And then I looked down to the bullpen, and Williamson wasn't warming up. and I was like, all right, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Who was your pitching coach yeah. then? Was it Al Jackson? It was. Yeah. And uh, so, no, you know, I started realizing, and I was like, oh, crap, you know, because I went 8-9-1. <laughs> and I was like, they are so not doing this. Well. And it was literally, literally one of those where it was just going, okay. All right, yeah, you're you're good. All right, you can do this. Yeah, but and, uh, no, nobody came over and said anything.
5: Yeah, but when you're sitting there and you're trying to figure all this out, you're probably thinking to yourself, "Wait a minute, McGuire can say go, Parker."
4: Oh, I didn't. I, I really, I didn't even look. Uh, okay. And and for me. Um, For me, at that point, in like 89, 90, 91, I had no concept. I mean, I had a concept, but I I couldn't tell you where things were going to end up because I didn't know where I was throwing things. I was throwing fastballs as hard as I could throw them in the middle of the box. And I was throwing my breaking ball as hard as I could throw it somewhere down in the bottom of the zone I didn't care where. And that was me. So, for me, in scouting reports... I was like, well, yeah, McGuire's a great breaking ball hitter, but I kind of got to throw him a breaking ball. <laughs> and um, I don't have any other pitch other than fastball and breaking ball, and I'm not eliminating one because hypothetically he's a good breaking ball hitter. Yeah. So I didn't have any idea nor care who was coming up, other than the fact that they were really good. And I was like, I'm 22. I shouldn't be doing this right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Greg Olson, former Orioles closer. And Greg... You mentioned just this concept of losing the edge of, uh, of invincibility. Uh, I've gotten to know Ben McDonald a little bit now in his second life in Baltimore doing play-by-play, and I heard him on another talk show in town talking about, you know, because like yourself, he was out of the game by about the age of 31-ish, yeah. um, and how rough a time he had adjusting to life without baseball was it the same for you?
4: Yeah, I couldn't, um, you know, I, hit another nine teams after Baltimore, you know, and, and explaining it to my kids about fighting for fighting for what you want. I, I went to camp in 95, 96, 97, 98, 94, you know, as a minor league, as a minor right. league for agent. And, um. You know, there was no major league contract, and I know there was no minor league contract. If I didn't make it, I was out. And um, so, yeah, I was I was fighting for jobs. So by the time I got done with the Dodgers in one I'd I'd blown my elbow out again, right? And um, had a couple other issues, and was kind of a mess. So went to camp in 02, was still screwed up. Got released by the Pirates, and then you know took took all the two off. I was trying to you know, find, find a good reason to, to get the surgery and, and take the year off and get healthy. Um, just didn't pull the trigger and took 3 I went and tried out. '04. 4 I went down to camp with the Diamondbacks as an advisor and, you know, was throwing BP. And the, the pitching coach came over and said, you know, you're breaking balls better than anybody else is in camp right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And he goes, why don't you go home? take all the time you need to get, you know, to get it going again and gear up and and then give me a call and and, uh, we'll bring you in. And I went home and and, uh, fought for a month and, you know, got to the point where I got to at the end of my career where, you know, I I couldn't throw a fastball over 90%. Right. And uh, the breaking ball was fine. The breaking ball didn't hurt, which was shocking, but the fastball hurt. And, uh, you know. So it, it took me, I mean, that, that in itself is almost three years of me, you know, trying to play. Right. So, yeah, I completely understand what Ben's talking about. And, and uh, you know, I didn't want to get back in the game as a pitching coach, and you know, for a while. And I finally got back in as a advanced scout for the Padres in, I think, '09. It took me a long while to be able to watch baseball, talk about baseball. Yeah, it just hurt. Yeah,
5: I always wondered as 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 the years went by. I always wondered what a rotation that included Ben McDonald along with Mike Messina would have been like for an extended period of time.
4: Well, and then you throw in, you know, we throw in Curt Schilling.
5: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
4: And you know, Harness Harness would you know Harness ended up having a, you know having good years through at least '98 um yeah there there were pieces there that uh it would have been you know we traded Finley you know Brady Brady stayed for a long time Devereaux had a good career right yeah if they would have kept the pieces it would have been pretty interesting but you know when uh Angelo's came in in 90 into 93 was when they cut me loose right and um I think probably soon after 90 I don't I don't know if it was 95 96 you know the Orioles delved into free agency for the first time in their history. You know, they, we never got free agents my five or six years there. Other than minor league guys or AAA guys or, you know, we really didn't. And it was always homegrown. So, I don't know. I don't know what it would have looked like. It would have been pretty interesting, though.
0: You yeah.
2: Know? Hey, hey, Greg, my producer <clears throat> just handed me a note. And I'd forgotten about this. Buck Showalter, of course, is the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. He managed you in 1998 and 99. You were the pitcher that he ordered to throw the intentional walk to Barry Bonds with the bases loaded. I was. That was me. What did you think when he came out or, or signaled from the dugout? To do that, did you think it was crazy, or were you relieved? <laughs> Probably thought the same thing you did when you were in the dugout, going, "Wait a minute, am I done yet?" Or what?
4: <laughs> do you want the long version or the short version? I'll How take.
2: I'll, we I'll take. But we've got the long version. We got time for that.
4: Well, I came in. I came in in the eighth to face. We had a two-run lead. Bonds was Bonds had the day off, and. We were winning, I don't know, seven to five, hypothetically, seven okay. to five. And so Bonds pinch hits in the eighth, in the bottom of the eighth. And I'm warming up. I'm closing for Arizona. And um, so they put me in the face of Bonds. And I don't Bonds had, I don't know, some explosive year. And. Um, <clears throat> Went through the sequence, I got behind three and one, I threw a good breaking ball, you know, he wasn't gonna swing at it. I got three two and then I threw the perfect perfect fastball down and away and just locked him up. And the umpire called it ball four. And so he peels off all his gear, standing in the box like I just intentionally locked him and I walked down to first base. I'm sitting there looking at him going, Everybody else in the league is out. Right. And I'm in the dugout. And I said, "Don't do that." And I was like, "All right, whatever." Got the next guy out. It starts to rain. Duh. We get a home run to make it eight to five. And I get out of the mound to get the first guy out on a strikeout, and then you know the the wet footing starts <clears throat> starts bothering me. And um, I end up walking. I think I walked six. In an inning and two thirds, inning and a third, I walked six guys. uh, Gave up a double to Jeff Kent. Well, it comes around now that I'm 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 up in the 40 pitches. You know, you saw Giles last night, and they're saying, you know, this is his most pitches he's thrown in a game was 32. I'm in the 40s, and we got a kid that we just signed from the Mexican League that was left-handed warming up in the bullpen. And I'm physically exhausted because it had been intense, you know, throughout that whole ninth inning and the eighth inning a little bit. And so Bonds comes back up, and the guy on deck, Brent Main, wore me out. He killed me. He was like four for ten or five for eleven in his career, so it wasn't like it was a great move, but you know, move down in the matchup. Right. Nice. Um. So. I'm out there, and it's like bonds comes up. I'm just going, all right. Let's see what I can pull out of this bag of tricks because I got nothing left. <laughs> and uh, so I'm standing. There, I was like, you know what? I could just hit him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and, and pay him back for that that peeling all this stuff off in the batter's box. If I hit him, right. And if I, if I miss, then we intentionally walk him anyway. So there's no downside to this plan. And then Buck stands up and puts the four, and I'm kind of standing on the mound going, well, I can't hit him now. <laughs> i was like, all right, crud. You know, so we go through it. And then, well, the next guy, Brent Main, comes up. And I get ahead, and count, try to punch him out to end the game, and it's it becomes a foul ball, 3-2. I think he fouled off like five 3-2 fastballs. And there's middle of the plate, little thinker, and it was just one after another, after another, after another, and he just kept following him back. I'm like, will you just please do something? Just end the game one way or the other right now, please. I'm just done. And he finally hits a medium liner to right field, and we win. And I walked into Showalter's office after having a couple milks immediately <laughs> after I walked into the office. And I just said, hey, Buck, you got a minute? And he goes, yeah, what do you got? And I said, you know apparently we just did something that hasn't happened in 47 years. Right. I said, could you, um, next time that, you know, we, we do something this odd, could you-, could you walk out and have a mound talk with me? <laughs> and he just looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, I wanted to hit him. I would have killed him. <laughs> I said, I had a four seam right in the middle of his numbers as hard as I could mm-hmm. throw a ball. Mm-hmm. Right. And he just looks at me and goes, I didn't even think of that. And I said, <laughs> I said, and I was just looking at him, I was like, mound conversation. You know, I, I, I fancy myself reasonably intelligent. I thought this one through. I wanted to kill him.
0: Right, because <laughs> that was a
2: free shot at him. That is amazing. And he
4: just looks at me and he goes, didn't even think about that one. I was like, yeah, he would have been walking down the first baseline going, there's no way he did that on purpose.
2: That's a great.
0: That's, that's a amazing. great story. Hey, let
5: me ask you this. What do you remember about your only home run did you
4: hit?
2: Uh, Which was your first at-bat, right?
4: No, I had uh, three at-bats. Oh, you only that hit, one that's right. And struck out all three times, looking poorly. Um, funny thing was, I, the 3-2 pitch before it, I kind of just check-swinged and fouled it off. It would have been strike three, and it was like, oh, I'm still alive. This was, you know, the guy was kind of a weird, right-handed, looked like he was throwing right at me. And... This is gonna sound amazingly bizarre, but he threw the pitch and as I saw it I said to myself, I can hit this. It's and, it's who, know, I, who who was, it was the who was the pitcher, do you remember? Oh yeah, Oscar Henriquez. All
5: right.
4: But but he, that's, got, sent down, he got sent down a week later. But for me it's been, <laughs> what
5: That's the old you adage.
4: Know. That's the old adage though.
5: The the game really slowed slows down, down for right.
4: you, right? No, it it really does. It's hard to explain, but the longer you play, it really you know. On if somebody laid down a bunt or a swinging bunt, I knew exactly how long I had. You know, you, yeah. you really do, and so you know, I try to explain it, and it's it's impossible to explain because I can't say I can hit this pitch in a half a second, but wow. I did. Yeah. So it was it was just one of those where I saw it slowed down. He threw the only pitch I could hit, and right when I hit it, I was like, I just went deep. <laughs> I, was like, all right. I was like, all right, I just made it 12 to 4. Run as fast as you can, because I don't want the next guy to get hit, because that's then I'm a... going to have to hit the first guy the next inning, and then I'm the one that's going to get in the fight.
5: That's right. That's a great story. That's literally the idea of every now
4: and then you run into one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Just keep swinging the bat and you might
2: hit one. Hey, Greg, you got to witness pretty much firsthand all the trials and tribulations that Brady Anderson had in establishing himself as an everyday player in the major leagues. Uh, I think the Orioles acquired him in 88 in that trade. In the Boddicker or, deal. Yeah, in the yeah. Boddicker deal where we got Schilling and Anderson for Boddicker going to the Red Sox. But he didn't immediately make it. He struggled for mightily for three seasons until they moved into Camden Yards. And Johnny Oates uh, said, you know what? You're going to be my leadoff hitter and everyday left fielder. Um, your, your thoughts about your ex-teammate and, and how how it took him that long, but what he established himself into
4: being? Well, you know what? I mean, he, he, he was always talented. And he always, you know, had glimpses. Um, great defensive outfielder. Um, always had, you know, you'd, you'd have little glimpses of what he could be, you know, every once in a while, not very often. And so he was, you know, doing the part-time, and it, it didn't. is so much to be said for confidence in baseball. You know, if you're confident in the pitch that I'm going to throw, I'm going to make that pitch. If you're confident at the plate, you know, regardless of what's going on, you, you got to, you're going to put a good at-bat on it. And I, I really think that gave him a little bit of confidence, and I think it probably took him, you know, weeks of that first year where he was playing every day to go, okay, they're really not taking putting me on the bench. I'm really out here, and Brady Brady's confident, a very confident person anyway. Yep. And, uh, you know, he carried an air of confidence, even when he was part-time playing and hitting 200, he was still a very confident person. So I'm sure that just added to his fire. And, you know, once he saw that, Hey, I really am out here every day, let's go. And it kicked him into what he was. Sure. There was more to it, but you know, that's what I saw. (laughs)
2: We're talking with Greg Olson. Greg, uh, when I recollect your career, I know you played for Frank Robinson and Johnny Oates in Baltimore. Uh, you played for a lot of different managers. Buck, like you mentioned, in Arizona. Who stands out to you as as maybe the, the best person and then separately the best manager you ever played for?
4: Well, I mean, <clears throat> people-wise, Johnny Oates was as good a human being as there was. Yeah. Um, Bobby Cox was as good a human being as there was. You know, I'm not saying any of the other guys weren't. I'm just saying those two guys really were just really solid, you know, honorable men. And I'm not saying anything I'm not against anybody else. I mean, that's why,
2: that's why Buck wears number 26 here as manager of the Orioles because it was a number Johnny wore. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean Johnny was that type of guy. He was he was really a a great human being. Um, Manager wise, you know Buck. Buck probably bar none. For me, you know I had Bobby Cox, I had Bob Boone, I had Davey Johnson, um, Jim Tracy. I had so many managers. Buck was for me was you know always one of the. The best, even with and his, la- still, even with his lack, even with his lack,
2: even with his lack of communication with you.
4: <laughs> oh, that was just one of those. You know what? He really, you know, I don't know. He he's changed since then. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't know if I helped him in any of that because you know I, I was a very, uh, I was probably one of the few really. I don't know if I was a thinking mm-hmm. closer, and. You know, we just, you know, we we just kind of figured things out. I mean, early, you know, early in that same year, '98. You know, I struggled and I, I had been struggling a little bit in April, and uh, we were playing the Padres, and I kind of stunk in the first inning. I would walk out in the Padres and give up two, and and I was really just trying to find a breaking ball, so I was really fighting, and and uh, walk in the dugout, and he just kind of came over and patted me on the butt and said, "You're done," and I said, "Hey, look." Send me back out there. I said, you know, the way I'm pitching, I'm not going to be in any meaningful game tomorrow. And I said, this game's not meaningful now. I said, send me back out there. I, I need to find my breaking ball. I need to find myself. And I'm just missing a little bit. And I said, let me just go back out there while I'm hot. Right. And this game, and he just kind of looks at me and goes, okay. That's and interesting. I was like, wow, I just talked to manager into leaving me in the game. I said, I have never been able to do that. You know, as many years as you can you know, kind yeah. of fight for guys, and and uh, he just kind of looks at me and goes, "Okay." And I went back out, and you know, one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. And then after that, I took over the closer's job in about two weeks, and and um, ended up having a great year in '98. And I think that was a big part of it because he just, you know, he listened and and uh, that's a that's a great story. Time.
2: That's a great story. Greg, tell our listeners out there and Craig Heist, because I know a little bit about what you're doing today, but uh, why don't you tell our listeners, and then we'll let you get on your way out to what you're doing.
4: Well, actually, today I flew down and saw my uh, two kids in Auburn, and I'm going to uh, <clears throat> the Auburn-LSU game in Baton Rouge. I am staying with uh, our friend Ben McDonald. There uh, you go going to the LSU game in about an hour. So I was kind of like, okay, what time are you guys calling me?
5: When when you um, see when you see Ben today, ask him just say Heisty wants to know what his feelings were about the Troy game.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll pass that on. Yeah, But uh, I've been uh, I've been running an underwear company called Toolshed Sports. Uh, you know, toolshedusa.com. We sell um, Sell sliding shorts or the underwear to Major League Baseball. We got twenty-seven teams that buy it. Alabama football, USC football. That's all great. Customers. Yeah,
2: and they're called. Tool, uh, it's called Toolshed Sports.
4: Yeah, but you'll find it at tool Shed USA. dot on, com. Uh, Toolshed, yep, yeah, on dot com. All
2: right, we got to do a story and so, in press box about that. That's that's yeah, very all, cool. All American,
4: all American made. I know I'm talking to the people that live in Under Armour world, but yep. Um kind of the same stuff, but it's all American-made, and, and uh, you know, got uh, 27 major league teams that are wearing it. And That's, good awesome. Stuff. That's awesome.
5: That's awesome. Good fitting stuff, even for guys
2: who might be a, a, little, like
4: punchy. Yeah. And
2: a little punchy like us.
4: Of course. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm sure you're not punchy. Come on.
2: No, we're fat. Um, we're yeah. fat. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just fat. Greg, we really appreciate you being on. We'll catch you down the road. I'll reach out to you every once in a while, and I'm I am going to put that in our hopper to do a story on that. Uh, you got That'd any? You got any schools in the Maryland area? I mean, you are talking to University of Maryland? Oh, of course or? not.
4: Yeah, no. There's no. You know why? There's there are certain places that I know better than even to try, and you know the Maryland region. No shot, and uh, of course in Oregon I got no shot. So yeah. Oh, okay.
2: I yeah. got gotcha. you. All right, you're not bucking up yeah. against Under Armour or Nike. All well, right. I
4: buck up against them enough. You know, it's uh, Under Armour's. Under Armour's been good to us. Lee. So. All right. Yeah. We appreciate. You won't your... find us anywhere in Maryland. All right. <laughs> we
2: appreciate your being on. Your kids are going both going to school there in Auburn.
4: I got two at Auburn and two at home.
2: That's great. All right. But we're happy uh, things are going well for you, and we thank you for joining us today.
4: My pleasure. Thanks Thanks a lot, Otter.
2: All right, enjoy the game today.
1: Such great stories from former Orioles closer Greg Olson. I mean, each story is just so unique, and the way he presents it is just so great, so funny. So we really appreciate having Greg Olson on with us back on October 14th. We're going to take a break now, but before we go to break... I do want to mention Monday through Friday right here on PressBoxOnline.com slash radio or Facebook.com slash PressBox Sports. It's the Glenn Clark Radio Show with Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer, pardon me. Say that 10 times fast. It's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer, the Glenn Clark Radio Show from 10 to 12, Monday through Friday, right here on Facebook.com slash PressBox Sports, also on PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. So we're going to take a break and go to our third and final segment with Richard Justice from MLB.com talking about the Houston Astros winning the World Series and the town of Houston, or town, city of Houston, recovering from the hurricane, how this championship really was an uplifting moment for that big city. And then we have Casey Willett, former Orioles producer, at the end of the show. So we'll be back with those two after these messages.
7: Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the grilled chicken bundle? A catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931. Zero, zero, three, one. The ParXcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for
5: a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call
6: 1 877 617 8839. Call now. Everyone knows that Full Circle Tire and Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life, and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tire and Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tire and Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court. Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, or find them on the web, fullcircletimeandauto.com.
10: KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick KOO from the Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon.
9: And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports.
10: We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football?
8: No. No, we don't.
10: We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No, just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10
6: a.m. to noon, press box fantasy and reality football show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit GiveTheGoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's GiveTheGoodwill.org, 866-492-2770.
8: The latest edition of Press Box is now available. On the cover, Bo Smoka dives into the relationship between Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco and head coach John Harbaugh, now in their 10th season of Working Together. Plus, our in-depth college basketball preview looks at all of the Division I men's and women's teams in Maryland. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
1: we are back here on this special edition of the Bat around the best of the bad around compiling all of our best interviews within the past month month and a half or so while Stan and Craig are out for the holiday weekend again I hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving and Black Friday hopefully you're resting here on the Saturday before getting back to work in a couple days if you missed anything you can go back to pressboxonline.com/ radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports after the show is over, and you can watch all of our interviews throughout the day today. We had Nick Kennedy on from the Million Dollar Arms Symposium, Richie Bansells, longtime head athletic trainer for the Baltimore Orioles, Susan Waldman, Yankees broadcasting partner, and Greg Olson, the former Orioles closer. Now we're in our final segment here with Richard Justice from MLB.com and Casey Willett, who is a producer for the Baltimore Orioles on their radio broadcast. First, we're going to start with Richard Justice, and he is going to talk about how the Astros really helped bring up the city of Houston after the devastation from Hurricane Harvey. Of course, Justice has a personal connection with Houston. He knows what's been going on over there. So we talked to him on November 4th, and this was three days after the Astros won the World Series in Game 7 after our insane, insane battle with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So here's Richard Justice talking with Craig Heist, and he has a little funny nugget there at the end, making fun of Stan the fan. Richard, good morning. How are you?
5: Good morning. Well, you got a chance to see a heck of a World Series and certainly six of those games. Uh, so number seven, maybe a little anticlimactic, but nonetheless... Without the dramas, the other six, but uh, you couldn't have asked for anything better uh, from a Houston standpoint to be able to, to to bring that World Series championship home. First of all, first question, what did that mean for that city with everything that they've been through?
10: Well, not just because of Hurricane Harvey, the, the sports history of the city. We were the city that, uh, I've been here 17 years uh, This was the city that blew a thirty-two point lead at Buffalo in the NFL playoffs. This is the city that the NFL team got up and left. You know, they they won two championships. The Rockets won in ninety-four and ninety-five. But pretty much everybody's been irrelevant since. And so I think everybody was just living with, what are they going to do to take it away from us now? And even you know, you said the last game was intense. There were people texting me saying, "This is so." nerve-wracking, I can't even watch it. Because when they were up <laughs> 5-1, to it felt like they were down 9-5, to you know. And and really, I don't think anybody believed it until the ball settled into the first baseman's glove. And, and it was just an outpouring of emotion. A.J. Hinch had a great line yesterday, you know, in the wake of the hurricane. I mean, I can't even tell you, you know, without getting teary about all the things the players did for the city. George Springer thought his home had been destroyed when they were on the road. Jose Altuve went to the manager and said, "How long do I got to play like this? How long do I got to feel like this?" And AJ Hinch told him, "said, you know, I don't know, I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, it, it was just a, there was just a AJ Hinch said, you know, we, we're always asking a city to rally around a team. He said, but it's okay to ask a team to rally around a city too. And we're not saying, you know, they didn't dry they didn't dry one teaspoon of flood water or anything." but they did for a couple hours each day gave people something great to rally around and the team was so appealing played with such joy i mean that it was it was impossible not to get caught up in their little quest
5: well you know i can imagine from a player standpoint and remember they played that uh, obviously they played a the series down in tampa you know, right. and, and, and you know, so players are, are playing on the road when they're supposed to be home, not knowing what's going on back home. Right. And you've got family members and everything. You know, are the houses all right? Are you, is your family okay? I mean, uh, right. you know, besides the right. daily grind of what's going on in the field, that's a heck of a burden to have to carry around.
10: Yeah. A.J. Hinch said he. some friends of his, this was, he said this in Tampa, some friends of his had gotten a boat and went out and rescued a child, uh, a family. And he says he, they sent it. He got a saw a photo of uh, one of his friends carrying a baby, and he just got teary and said, "I, I right now I just want to be back and I, I want to carry a baby." The mayor here, Sylvester, and they thought they were gonna they played the Rangers in Tampa, and they had planned to. They thought they were gonna stay down there and play the Mets, and um, and the mayor Sylvester Turner. Sylvester Turner and A.J. Hinch became sort of the voices of the conscience of the city. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester Turner said, no, you guys come back here and uh, we're going to consider this the, 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 the beginning of the Reconstruction. And, and the, they, the, the guys went down to the George R. R. Brown Convention Center on Friday before playing the doubleheader against the Mets. And, and um, I walked in with them and uh, a cop pulls me aside, a cop that I knew pulled me aside and said, be prepared. Whatever you think it is, it's worse. I walked about 10 feet, and there was a table labeled, missing persons, and people were lined up. And those guys rolled up their sleeves and uh, delivered groceries and played with kids, and, and, they, and you know, they, they did other animal rescue efforts. And the next yeah. day, there was just at the ballpark, and they played the Mets on a doubleheader. There was an explosion of emotion. They'd sort of been, they, they were, they'd lost 19 out of 30. You know, they had the division wrapped up and all that. They were gasping for air. And uh, they got a boost out of there. But, then, you know, a lot of it was they, they acquired Verlander, Correa, and McCullers came off the disabled list, So they got their whole team back, and they could also see the finish line.
5: Well, let me ask you about this team that win, wins this World Series, and that, I, I thought A.J. Hinch was fabulous from a couple of different standpoints. He winds up managing a bullpen that really, you, you know, was, was gassed in its own right. But then right. you, but then used a couple of his starters too to bridge that gap and really to close out some games, and 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 I thought the analytics at that point got thrown out the window, if you will, uh, to to see what Charlie Morton did, you know, to see what Brad Peacock did in that series. I don't think you can say enough about the job A.J. Hinch did.
10: No, he changed the way. I mean, you take you take a guy's bullpen away from him.
5: You know, like if you'd ask me at the start of the World Series, I'd say. The Astros have a better
10: lineup, and they have a better rotation. Mm -hmm. But how do you get those last six or seven outs? And so they just made it up on the fly. Verlander pitched in relief. McCullers pitched in relief. I mean, he turned Peacock into a super reliever. But the analytics part of it, they signed uh, Charlie Morton when he became a free agent last winter. um, He asked his agent, you think I'll get any offers? He'd been hurt a lot. The Astros gave him a two-year offer and said he got some of the best stuff in baseball. And A.J. said, you know, we kept giving the ball to Charlie Morton because our people upstairs said, this guy's got dominant stuff. Same thing with Peacock. Uh, he, uh, I mean, Craig, this tells you, like, what a, cr- a crazy game it is. He at it- the All-Star break in 2016 playing catch with a minor leaguer named Jordan Jankowski yeah. that they since released. And Jordan tells him, this is how I hold my slider. Why don't you try it? And it's changed his whole career. You know, and then down on the field after the game, his father's, you know, everybody's so emotional about it. I, George Springer's father said to me, don't even look at me because I'm, I'm about to lose it. And I looked over, his mother was crying. Yeah, it just it meant so much to so many people. But, you know, when A.J. Hinch got hired, I had text messages from people that said, I can't believe they hired this clown. Right. And he'd had a bad experience in Arizona. And one of the things he learned is you've got to do a better job related to a player. Players, But the guy who hired him there, Josh Burns, said to me, you got to give this guy a chance. He goes, I screwed that up. I gave him a bad team. And, and Craig, I'm telling you, I, I've never dealt with a guy better with relating to players, managing bullpen, collaborating with the, the data that he gets from the front office, and all of that. When Alex Bregman comes up, he's a year out of LSU, starts two for 30. AJ calls him in and says, uh, listen, uh, I'm moving you from sixth in the batting order to second. And the reason I'm doing it, that reflects what I think of you and what the organization thinks of you. I mean, who does something like that? Yeah. You know, in Twitter, they're wanting to release the guy and all that. A funny follow up to that story is early in the season, Bregman wasn't in the lineup and he didn't. He was mad. He wanted to be in. And, and uh, AJ said to him, and he could say this because he had the background now. He said to him, Well, I needed to get Marwan Gonzalez in there for some at bats. And so I put the names of all the infielders in a hat and drew one out. And he goes, Oh, you drew my name out. And he goes, <laughs> no, I drew Correa's name out, but I put it back in there and drew another one. <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's great. Uh, but, yeah. but you know what? When you talk about this game being crazy, and and it really is, when you get to the postseason, it's it's more of a crapshoot than it is anything else, I think, anymore right. with the way the, the playoff system is. But when you look back to that Yankee series, and you're talking about you win the first two games, you score a total of four runs, you get absolutely shut down going to New York, and then you have to come back and win two at home to advance. But but when you look at what happened with that, you, you see the top of that lineup did virtually nothing. And then right. all of a sudden, George Springer winds up being your MVP of the World Series.
10: <laughs> well, he was. he had four strikeouts in game one. Yeah. People were asking AJ, "Are you going to bench the guy? What are you going to do?" And he goes, "My players are going to know I have their back." Now that's what he told us. What he, what we didn't know is he had texted George and said, basically paraphrased Jeff Van Gundy, uh, what he once told Tracy McGrady is, "This is going to be your finest hour." You know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and and George says, "When a guy has your back like that, uh, how how can you how can you not feel great about it?" You know, let me just say for people want to know about George Springer uh his grandfather is George Springer senior his father is a attorney in at Connecticut George Springer junior so the player is George Springer the third but google his his grandfather's name he's had a quite a lengthy obit in the Washington Post when he died about 15 years ago he was he was a big time guy he was a, he was head of the teachers union for a while and in, in Washington a panamanian immigrant and uh <laughs> it's a pretty special family. They got to get you know, Craig. It's never gonna. They can win it three more years in a row, and nothing's gonna be like the first one because it's just magic. You know, you. What are you gonna get out of Morton? What are you gonna get out of Peacock? You're gonna go into the World Series, and you're gonna have no bullpen, and your manager's gonna fix it with duct tape and paper clips. You know, right? Who who, who makes this stuff up?
5: I tell you, uh, you know what though, and and you know, we talk about it in this area between Baltimore and Washington. And that's that, you know, for all the hardships that, that that team endured, the 100 lost seasons and things of that nature, two guys, Bo Porter and also Dave Tremblay, were, right. were, were there kind of setting the table, if you will, for some of these young guys who went on to have a great postseason.
10: Yeah, and, it, you know, the thing is, when you tear it down, I remember telling Jim Leland, this is what they're going to do. This guy, Jim Crane, bought the team. He hired a guy great in the draft, Jeff from the Cardinals. This is what they're going to do. They're going to tear it down. And now that's sort of what other people are doing now. But at the time, it was unheard of. And Jim Leland just kind of said, no, they're not going to do that. When you lose 10 in a row, when your TV ratings, your fans, your tickets, all that suffer, you're going to go out and sign some old guys. And they stayed the course. And, Craig, you pay a price for it. Yeah. Your TV ratings go to zero. Your ballpark is empty. People, it's not even people don't like the team people have apathy you know they've only come i think they drew two five 2.5 million this year they were not back they were a three million attendance team when they went to the world series no five and so you know it's a process you you pay a price when you're going to go down this road but jeff leno's first draft he drafts correa saves some money there drafts mccullers drafts a kid named rio ruiz who he traded for gaddis and they, they were off and running but they also they were able to see things in others like column a Q waiver claim he tells this pitching coach he hired p- Brent Strom as his pitching coach who'd been out of ball been working at a pet store in Albuquerque and Brent said only a nut job like Jeff Luno would hire a <laughs> nut job like me a guy that was willing to feet first into the analytics the high fastball how do you get people out what works you know they told Charlie Morton says we, we don't say we're not telling you to throw your curveball three percent more five percent more we're telling you to throw your curveball right and People probably know when McCullers finished the game out against the Yankees, finished with 24 straight curveballs, and that's what analytics is. If something works, why don't you do it more?
5: Right. Uh, when uh, and again, when, and we're talking with Richard Justice of MLB.com, uh, covered the World Series, lives in Houston, knows what this World Series title uh, means to the team, means to the city, and everybody involved. The Nationals just introduced Dave Martinez as their new manager, replacing Dusty Baker. Again, one of the guys that have sat next to Joe Madden uh, for about 10 years, and I think we can all agree that Joe's probably one of the most innovative guys around. uh, About when you think about analytics and, and, and guys that are innovative, that's what the learners and Mike Rizzo are hoping that Dave Martinez brings to this team. Uh, but again, I always say, like we say, it's a crapshoot. There's no guarantees, you know, that there's going to be anything more than a division title again next year.
10: Well, and that's what Jeff Luno said. The goal is to get into contention. He goes, when you get the playoffs, it's a, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. He goes, you just feel like, and I think Mike Rizzo's actually said this. If you get into position where a bad year is 85 wins and a good year is 95 wins, uh, you're going to eventually have success in the playoffs. When you go back and look at how the Astros won, I mean, they had a tough time with Boston. It only went four games, but they had to beat Sale and Kimbrell. Who does that? And in the World Series, Marvin Gonzalez sits an 0 2 fastball in the ninth inning over the center field wall against the best closer in baseball. Yep. Who does that? That ball doesn't go over the center field wall where the, the parade is probably in L.A. yesterday.
5: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and let me ask you about Dave Roberts now. When you think about, you know, there were a couple of times where he used Kenley probably a little bit more than he needed right. to, and maybe that winds up costing him in the end.
10: Yeah, it's an organizational decision on some of those things. You know, he used Kenley in game six. I think he only threw 19 pitches. I think at this point in the season, um, and I speak more for the Astros, they had seven or eight guys that were out of gas. And I mean position players, that Correa and Altuve were hurt everybody's just I mean you've played 180 games 200 games when you count spring training and uh it, you're out of gas and so you're just trying to figure it out as you go along AJ said AJ Hinch said I'm watching Charlie Morton finish the game seven he goes and we have a tv big tv screen and I got one of their bullpen one of our bullpen he said in our bullpen was Justin Verlander and Dallas Keuchel throwing. So we got our guy trying to finish the World Series, and I've got two Cy Young Award winners warming in the bullpen. They're both exhausted, but they're going to try to do whatever they have to do to get this thing. He goes, And that image of those two guys in the bullpen and Charlie pitching his guts out, uh, that's what I'll remember forever because you just don't, you know, everybody's doing all that they can even though,
0: they're out of gas. <laughs>
5: well, I got new. I It, it was fabulous to watch, and uh, I don't think that uh, there were not too many people, at least in this area, that were pulling for the Astros just because of everything that's happened down there. But the, sure. the ball club is just a great story. A.J. Hinch is a great story. You feel good for Justin Verlander because I think that's the move that probably put them over the top coming down the stretch and giving them the confidence yep. to say, look, if this guy's going out there, you know, we have a shot.
0: <laughs> so, yeah,
10: 124 when they needed they elimination game in game six against the Yankees. 124 pitches, and there was a point where you know where they go down and ask about him like after the fifth inning, they didn't even look at him. Like, yeah. it's yours, baby.
5: That's right. <laughs> exactly. Whatever
10: we do today, you're going to do it. <laughs> so, uh,
5: you you take this ball from me, you're going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Justice, MLB.com, thanks a lot for being with us, but I do, I'm flying solo here because Stan is taking some uh, time off to take care of some family problems or issues, I should say, down in North yeah. Carolina. But the last time we had you on I was flying solo and I just wanted to remind everybody
10: Boy, I've never you know, it's it's really fun. I didn't Stan didn't ask that many questions, but you know his questions aren't really that good. <laughs>
4: well, you know,
5: that's that's just the way it is, you know. When you fly solo you try to get the best people on and you're certainly one of the best. <laughs> and there you go. He's you one are of the best. you are one, one of the, of the best.
10: best interviews Stan has ever done. <laughs>
5: Richard, thanks so much for being with us on the around.
1: That's just. <laughs> Richard Justice's response to that was better than I could have ever expected. Poor Stan. Poor Stan. Twice he was away, and both times Richard Justice just. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. So that was Richard Justice from MLB, MLB.com. And I have people who I know in the Houston area. And to see them stuck in their high-rise businesses because the lower floors are flooded and their neighborhood is flooded, it's hard to believe. And to see the places that I went to just completely underwater, it was a sight that I could not have imagined. So to see what they gone through and to see the jubilation and the joy of the Astros win the championship, I I couldn't be any more happier to them. And then, uh, I think my favorite moment in the World Series was Game 5. Obviously, we remember that game, a wild one. When uh, Cody Bellinger hit that line drive in the center field in the seventh inning, George Springer dove for it, missed it. It got by him and rolled all the way to the wall. And Kike Hernandez scored from first, and Bellinger ended up with a triple. It put the Dodgers up 8-7, to and I'm thinking... The way this game is going, because remember, twice the Astros hit game-tying three-run home runs before that happened. One by Gurriel, one by Altuve. I'm thinking, the Astros are probably going to tie it, and it's probably going to be Springer. So we move to the bottom of the seventh. It's 8-7 Dodgers, and guess who's leading off? George Springer. Brandon Morrow comes in. He's pitched every game in the World Series. You have to imagine he's got to be tired at some point after performing so well. And the first pitch Morrow delivers. Springer hits it out to the train tracks, the old Union Station in left field. That was unbelievable. That is instant redemption. I had never seen instant redemption like that before. And Houston was just in a frenzy. And that atmosphere at Minute Maid Park is like no other because I went there a couple times. And that was during the regular season. It was probably five times louder in the playoffs than the regular season. And it was already pretty darn loud. During the regular season. So, Richard Justice really painting a picture of what it was like in Houston and what was going on there through the ups and downs of the baseball season and Hurricane Harvey. Now we go to our last interview, but I do want to mention that this Monday, Project Game Day returns with Glenn Clark. The Houston Texans face the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night at 8.30. Of course, the Ravens coming off their shutout victory over the Green Bay Packers. And we know Green Bay doesn't have Aaron Rodgers, but still a big win for Baltimore nonetheless. So Glenn Clark will be coming at halftime here in the studio. And you can listen and watch his stream on PressBoxOnline.com radio or Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. He'll be back also at the end of the game to give you a quick post-game recap and post-game show. Same place as always. So now we're going to go to Casey Willett, who was a former producer for the Baltimore Orioles in their radio broadcast, but there's a lot more to him. He was actually a U.S. Army combat medic. He's a disabled veteran, and he's also worked five Super Bowls. He's had quite a career, quite a life, and he had a chance to talk with Stan and Craig back on October 21st about all that he has gone through and now what he's doing as he tries to live with his family more, because you imagine being in the Army and working with the Orioles and traveling with the team and going to the Super Bowl, didn't have much time with the family. So Casey talked about all that and more with Stan and Craig.
5: Casey, how are you this morning? You
11: know, guys, I don't ever know if it's a good thing that you work for almost every radio station in town or if it's
5: a bad thing. Uh, you know what, though?
11: It's, it's a good thing. It's, Trust it's, me. It's, <laughs> it's not a
5: bad thing. It's not a bad thing because... If that happens, it usually means people know you're worth your weight in in gold uh, and you can provide a, a purpose, and you
11: certainly did that. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, yeah, heisty, it's funny. I was just going through a box of pictures the other day, and uh, – <laughs> It was here's a shocker, there's a picture Ray Bachman took of me and you at the Super Bowl in Detroit, which I guess that would have been...
2: Yeah, Steelers and Seahawks.
5: Steelers,
11: oh yeah, Steelers and uh, Seahawks. Oh, was that about year.
2: seven years ago?
11: Nine years yeah, ago? Yeah, and we were, we were sitting at the table editing audio and I'm like, I can only imagine what was being said when that was taken. Yeah, but yeah that was uh, I remember the early days of Heisty would say, hey, uh, okay, I'll go to the Orioles, you go to the Red Sox, or you go to the Orioles, I'll
2: go to the Red Sox. So I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude, Dice. Hey, we had you on, and we will turn our attention to your, your decision to leave uh, the, the baseball world, which I know was not an easy one emotionally for you. But I want to ask you about two people that have left the Orioles' employ and that are play-by-play voice, Fred Manfra. And now trainer Richie Bansells. I just I know you probably got to know both of them very well, very fond of them. I'm sure they're very fond of you. Your thoughts on them?
11: Yeah, you know Richie. Richie is interesting because you know when before I started doing the uh, games on radio, I worked for as you guys mentioned other stations, and so Richie was sort of this guy you'd never really heard from. Yeah, uh, you saw him, but you never really heard him talk. And usually when he did. It was something bad that happened, whether it was an injury or, unfortunately, during the Palmero and Sosa and Tejada era, um, a lot of off-the-field stuff. But once I got to start traveling with the team, uh, Richie actually sat in the room across and behind me. So we talked a lot uh, on the plane, and uh, really good guy. It's amazing the stories he has You know, over his, well, I guess, 40-something years or whatever he's been around. Um, but really funny. He's got a a good, quick, you know, sense of humor and he's a really good storyteller. So I really enjoyed getting to know Richie. And then Fred, I mean, there's not many people on the face of the earth better than Fred Manfra. Um, I I remember my first game I ever did, um, scared to death because I really didn't know Joe and Fred that well. And and Fred just kind of Talk to me a little bit before the game, and then would give me little pointers and tell stories. And uh, we we were in on some practical jokes on Joe together, and Fred always got a big kick out of that. But <laughs> Fred's a guy that would would give you the shirt off his back in a heartbeat and not even think about it, and um, still get cards and gifts from around the holidays from Fred, and an occasional text, you know, to see how I'm doing. And so he's uh, Fred's a, a, an absolute legend, and. But it was sad to see it kind of end for him the way it did. Um, He went on his terms, but his body, I think, forced some of that. Yep. And, And he's one of those guys, you know, you look back to that 2014 season, obviously the players, but, you know, for being a hometown kid, you know, to get that close to the World Series with the Orioles, he was one of those guys, you know, you're like, you're kind of rooting. The team would get there or win a ring, you know, for people like Fred who have gave everything they have, basically, to that organization in his job.
5: Well, I think anybody that's in our business and, you know, if we're broadcasters, I think, you know, you, you inspire, aspire to do as much as you can in the business. And with Fred, he lived the dream. I mean, here's a guy that yeah. gets a chance to be a play-by- his hometown b- team. Uh, hometown team and call Play-by-play baseball for his hometown team. That's that's the equivalent. That's the broadcasting equivalent of Cal Ripken growing up in this area and being able to play his entire career for the Baltimore Orioles.
11: Yeah, and and it's funny. uh, I tell you guys a quick story. We were, uh, I forget the year. We're playing the Cubs in Chicago, um, and walk out of Wrigley Field. Out of Wrigley Field, there's thousands of people around the ballpark, and we're like, okay, how where are we going to get a cab? Um, how are we going to get back? This guy in the middle of the street goes, Fred Manfra. Fred goes, (laughs) yeah? Starts talking to the guy. They had worked together years ago, um, I think for CBS in New York. And this guy was walking to his car, and he said, oh, hey, let me give you guys a ride. I'll take you back. And uh, so it was just crazy. You know, I kind of laughed. I'm like, what are the odds that we're walking down this busy street, and here's this guy that, you know, 20, 30 years ago working with Fred in New York That's a great giving story. Us, it saved me my meal money, so I was very appreciative <laughs> of that. The next well, when, you, when I know how how well you
5: eat along with the per <laughs> diem, that that's <laughs> a big savings there.
11: <laughs> yeah, it's either cab or walk. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not that far. I'll walk. Hey, Casey,
2: uh, we did want to have you on. I read this thing you wrote about, four, what's it, about four or
11: five weeks ago now? Yeah, so... Um, Little backstory. So, I'm, I guess some people don't know, uh, I'm 80% disabled from my time in the military. Um, so, uh, the military is actually sending me to go back to school and paying for everything. And so, I'm a, uh, no, don't don't joke and make another comment, Heisty, but I'm a 40 year old freshman at the University of Tennessee <laughs> in How old do the girls look? Uh, you know, that would have been my you know, first. That would have been yeah, my first question. <laughs> I look in class and I'm like, I have a stepdaughter over like, the. I feel like you, you guys have probably seen the movie Billy Madison when Adam Sandler goes back to school. Yeah. That's literally what I feel like every day. And kids will reference something. And, and it was funny, I had a Spanish class this summer and uh, my professor who's got his doctor who's 41 years old so it really made me feel great about myself. But we made a comment about a TV show and he goes, no one in here has any clue what we're talking about. Yeah, and, you know, I, yeah. You know, so uh, anyway, one of my uh, I was an amazing English professor, and I really love this class, and she wanted us to write a memoir about something in our life, and um, so what I wrote about was something that was a very significant moment for me. During uh, my life and my time
5: in baseball, I love I love the fact that you said heisty before you say anything crude and rude. Right? You know, <laughs> like like I would do that. Yeah. yeah
11: well, <laughs> I, I, I know the I know the elevator was ready to open and sp- spill out something.
2: <laughs> so I thought I would. All right. So now I want to take this. I don't want to make this sad at all, but I do want to no. to stick with this. You wrote this piece for your class, and it's right. why you chose. And I guess in some ways, mentally, it was a very easy decision for you, you know, involved with your family, your wife, right. that I know you love to death. Um, but emotionally, that's got to be the dream job for somebody like you to have, traveling around, being hobnobbing with, you know, Chris Davis and Adam Jones yeah. and Richie Bansells and Buck and Fred and Joe so talk, to run it through what what this process was like for you to give that up to and what you gave it up for, Casey.
11: Yeah, so it was, you know, all I wanted to be when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was it. I had no idea what I was going to do beyond that. Um, obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, I got in radio, and I just remember being asked if I wanted to be the Orioles producer and I'm like sure and then I walked out of the office and I'm like I have no idea what he just asked me to do but it's going to be in baseball and for me it was such a dream job um you know I, I was fortunate that I got to kind of join in when the resurgence of the Orioles kind of started uh, in 2010 although my first year was interesting because it was the Dave Tremley, Juan Samuel, Buck Walter all managed in the same year so that was that was interesting, but I, I just remember, you know, it, it would be crazy, like you said, to, you know, Adam Jones and, and the different players, but then, you know, Mike Flanagan, who I loved to death, you know, I remember kind of watching him when I was younger, and we're sitting beside each other on the bus, and Mike Bordick and Jim Palmer and, you know, Gary Thorne, who, oddly enough, I only really knew from video games as a kid. Um, it, it was it was amazing, and, you know, my Three favorite players of all time were Nolan Ryan, Mark Grace, and Ben McDonald. And you know, Ben McDonald, growing up in Louisiana when I was growing up, he was he was it. So he was to God there. To, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, to get to <laughs> meet him and and become friends with him, and uh, meet Nolan Ryan and different guys, it, it really was. It was a dream job. Um, I, I don't think what people realize is how tiring of a job that is. You know, it's, I, I think a lot of people have this misconception that. If the game starts at 7, you show up at 6. and Right. You know, and, and when the last sound is recorded, you go home, and, and you guys know that you're there way before. I mean, when the game starts, you kind of get to actually relax a little bit. Trust me, there's uh, radio
5: general managers that feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs>
11: right, right. <laughs> and, and then when it's over, you know, you, you're you writing whatever you have to write or doing a show or you know, as Heisty does, giving updates for 75 stations in America and <laughs> uh, all the different things. So it's tiring, and, and you know, in traveling, it, it's like, with well, the Orioles, was, you know, it's amazing. It's a chartered plane. It's nice hotels. It's nice. There's it nothing really to complain about it, but, you know, arriving, playing a game at Camden Yards and arriving in Boston at 2.30 in the morning, um, you know, it, it, it wears wears on you, and, and kids at home, and my wife is a uh, nurse practitioner, a neonatal nurse practitioner, so she was working a lot, so I would come home, and I might see my kids for two hours, probably, in a two- or three-day span sometimes, and then being gone on the road, I might go a week and a half without ever seeing it. Um, So, you know, it started to weigh on me after really kind of the end of my fifth year, Um, and, and oddly enough, I remember talking to Guys like you know Fred and, and just like I don't know how you guys do this for twenty something years and and I'll tell you honestly Stan a lot of it um, not to be sad but yeah I really started to think about it a lot when Monica passed away yep. yeah yeah um, you know and then what happened with Mike Flanagan is just like man like
2: blows you away you know
11: it's it, 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 it that was... you realize how quickly you know it fades away and yep. You know, and, and my kids and my wife got to see a lot of things and meet a lot of, you know, players and go to different places, but I just didn't want to do it. You know, it's a hard life to do, um, and it, it takes a toll on you me mentally and physically. And so um, the, the basic point of what the paper that I wrote was um, I remember just not wanting to do it and kind of was debating it and debating it and debating it, and then my, you uh, know, 12 but Gabe. Uh, said to me he said dad you know you haven't been home for my last six birthdays wow and um he is if, when his birthday is that day is his birthday he doesn't do the hey the weekend before or, hey the weekend right. after it's, right. We're doing something on my birthday and that's i think what it really hit home to me um was sort of wow you know like he's been to You know, Toronto, and he's been to Texas, and he's been to D.C., and he's been to all these cool places and met all these players, but me not being home for his birthday is what he's remembered the most.
2: Now, the kicker to the the story is you got a D-minus on that paper,
11: didn't you? uh, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, Stan. I'm hoping I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe in the seismic degrees philosophy. That, Stan. I'm not
2: trying to. <laughs> Casey, that sounds like an A plus paper. Uh, no matter how she, how she or he, your teacher graded it, that sounds like it's from the heart. Uh, the yeah. tra- the trade off in two years now. That all sounds good when you write it up and you talk about it. Has it tangibly enriched your life? Being jumping back into being present with your family?
11: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, now if we want to go somewhere on the weekend, it's not, you know, well, I'm tired or I only, it's the all-star. But that was the other thing that used to crack me. People were like, well, you have the all-star break. And I'm like, all you yeah, do during right. the all-star break is sleep. right? You know, and uh, it, it really, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize how tired I was getting until the, I remember the first year was at Buck's office. And uh, he asked me, he was like, you enjoyed this? I'm like, yeah, you know, this is great. This is my first year. And he said, about two weeks after the season ends, your body's just going to decide it's going to sleep. He's like, you know, it'll just say we're going to sleep right now. And he goes, it could be midnight or it could be noon, and you're going to sleep for about two days straight. Um, but it is, you know, to be home with them. And I take them to school every day. I pick them up from school. I You know, I'm the I'm usually the only dad on a field trip, if there's a field trip mm-hmm. or you know, running them around and, and I miss, you know, I, I don't necessarily miss the games so much. I miss the people like you guys and Joe and Fred and, uh, you know, the players when they weren't on the field and kind of getting to know them and a bunch yep. of, you know, it's a really good media group and people that work with the Orioles. So I miss them, but I don't miss all of the travel. And, um, I, I, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I know I made the right decision. Um, Especially now, you know, my boys are getting, they're 14 and 12, so they're getting to that age where dad being home is, uh, and my 12-year-old still jokes, he's like, I'm just not used to dad. Like, if we go camping, you can go camping with us now, or if we, that's great. you know, go to the Six Flags, well, you can go with us. And so that's really, I mean, that's that's been worth it all for me. Now,
5: well, the one thing that, uh, I knew you were leaving, and then when you told me you were moving, that was the. Yeah, that. that, that was kind of the one. Double down. Kind of double down cool. on it, you know. Uh, you know, because you're missed around here for sure, and uh, uh, you know, you you miss being at your computer and then having Casey pile down from upstairs and say something smart to you, and then turn around and leave just like that. <laughs> whether it was about Palmero, whether it was about Messina, uh, the names you know, Shane, name, right,
2: but the yeah. one-liners continued. Right. Casey, so yeah. tell tell our listeners what what you are doing now. What what is college gearing you up for? What would you like to do?
11: Well, so this, the, what I've been going to school about going back to school. I can write, but I can't talk, obviously. Um, <laughs> is to be a social worker, and really, what I want to focus on is helping veterans because yeah. you know it's amazing to me to see, and it's sad. And I'm actually uh, doing a work study at a place. Uh, here in Chattanooga, you know, veterans that come in, and and unfortunately, you know, they're now Vietnam and Korean era, and they they have no idea what they're eligible for. You know, whether that's housing, whether that's you know a tax break, whether that's free healthcare, dental care, education, whatever it might be. Um, and it, it, it's sad, you know, that there's so many of these people that basically signed up to pay the ultimate sacrifice, and then they come back home and. They almost feel forgotten, but they don't realize that there are things out there to help them get medical care or to get a loan for a home or, you know, for a car or whatever it might be. So that's really, once I get into where I really want to focus, that's what I want to do is, you know, help veterans um, with the process of what's available for benefits and different things like that.
2: I just want to tell you as a brief aside, I've gotten to know a, a young lady named Lynn Coughlin, her brother. Uh, Chris Coughlin was killed in action in Afghanistan after he was there about three or four months, I think. And his his phrase used to be he was a workout freak, and he enlisted in the, in the Army at the age of 41 because he said, I'm single, I don't have any kids, maybe I can save somebody else's life. Uh, and his phrase was, I'm going to catch a lift, which meant that he was going to go to the gym and work out. And his right. sister started a foundation, and I'd really like you to look, look it up. It's called the Catch-A-Lift Fund, and okay. what it does is it raises money all around the country uh, to to give. This is not something that can get distorted like the Wounded Warriors, some no. of the programs have. This, this earmarks about 92 cents, 93 cents out of every dollar they raise goes to buying gym memberships, and where necessary, home gym equipment for wounded warriors and the effect it's had on some people being able to really get back into working out is just uh, had an amazing therapeutic uh, um, response.
11: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and, the, and you know, for a lot of military guys, that was a thing you went and worked out yep. uh, kind of in your spare time, and then you get out, and now it's so, uh, hey, it's $90 a month or. Right. Um, different things like that, and, you know, there's some people, they, a lot of people, they just can't afford that, so I, I think that's really yeah. awesome. Uh, another, I got involved, uh, there's a foundation that's called Operation Song, uh, and here in Chattanooga, it's, it's uh, just blows my mind, but there's two songwriters from Nashville, and, and both were very, very successful, and still are. They drive basically two hours every Wednesday morning down here, and there's a group of veterans and. Uh, two two weeks ago, no, actually last week, in the room was a guy from World War Two, two guys from the Korean War, two from Vietnam, and two guys from Iraq and Afghanistan, and then me. But anyway, they take your story and what they do is they write a song. Wow, that's And pretty... so these these two songwriters from Nashville uh, who've written with, you know, Reba McIntyre, Alabama, Dirks Bentley, you know, you name it, they've written with these people. Uh, and they... They don't get paid. That's just something that they feel passionate about, and, and it's it's amazing to kind of hear your story made into a song. And then once they have it written, they take it to Nashville, and they fully produce it and make album, you know, make CDs out of it. Uh, and you get like the songwriter credit. So if it was ever picked up commercially or whatever, you could get the royalty check. So that sounds yeah, there, incredible. There yeah, there are a lot of great things out there, and, and unfortunately, you know, and Wounded Warrior has its good parts, but, you know, people love to, yep. I think anytime you have a nonprofit and somebody kind of pulls the cover back and realizes something dirty is going on, people yeah. then forever, you know, want to say, oh, well, it's a bad organization. So there's a lot yeah. of now, at its Yeah, it's publicity.
2: at its heart, it's a great organization. It's just sometimes these organizations get so big that the, the cost of administrating them you, you you end up losing a lot of the money that's geared for, for the people. It right. just gets dissipated. Casey, we really appreciate your spending some time. Craig's got one more for you, and then we'll take a break. How, how old is Gabe now? Gabe's 12. Yeah, Gabe's
5: and, 10, and that 12. just goes, I'm uh, I'm bouncing this kid right, on my well, knee. Was he two? Probably <laughs> two or three at the time, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just amazing. Right. Well, and,
11: and, and, and you'll appreciate this, too. My 14-year-old is now taller than me. Uh, yeah, it's funny how that happens, right? Yeah. So so I'm I'm slowly but surely engaged, not far behind. So I'm like, man, I went from six four and I'm about to be one of the shortest people in the whole house. So. That's unbelievable. All right. We
2: give our best to everybody in the family and we do appreciate I was uh, I'm not gonna say I was in tears when I read the piece five, six weeks ago, but I was really moved by it. And uh, But he cries he cries a lot, especially when I walk in the room. Okay. <laughs> I cry when well, I cut onions and when you walk hey, in the room, I, yeah.
11: Hey, Steve, if everybody cries when you walk in the room, it's not necessarily everybody else.
2: Yeah, there you go. You, you might be the problem. All right. Stay in touch, right, Casey back. Willett. All right. Bye, Have a I good will. day.
1: So there's Casey Willett. Just an unbelievable story with him and much respect to him for serving and doing what he has done, not only for the Orioles, not only for the Super Bowl, but for the country. And – We really wish the best of luck to him in his future endeavors. So we're going to take a break right now. But before we go to break, I just want to ask you, Chick-fil-A on Sundays? It's possible. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. You buy the food on Friday or Saturday with a reheatable tray. And then on Sunday, you can take the food after you refrigerate it, put it in, and warm it up for a relatively short amount of time. And there you go. You got the food all ready to go, and you got Chick Fil A on Sunday. Make all your event- events remarkable with Chick Fil A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office or holiday parties, or even more. That is Chick Fil A on Sundays, thanks to the reheatable, reheatable, chilled nugget trays. So we're going to take our final break, and we'll close out this Best of Bat Around Special Edition. <laughs> Everyone knows that Full
6: Circle Tyrant Auto in Abingdon, that's where I take my vehicle whenever I have any issue whatsoever. And that's because there's a Full Circle difference. They understand my vehicle is my life, and they know they need to get it taken care of in a timely manner and work with me to make arrangements. In fact, the most recent time that I took my vehicle to Full Circle Tyrant Auto, Dave, he simply gave me a ride home personally after I dropped my car off there. That's the difference they make at Full Circle Tyrant Auto. You can stop in and see them. 1304 Governor's Court at Unit 110 in Abingdon. Give them a call, 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS, or find them on the web, fullcircletimeandauto.com.
8: Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years?
1: Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yard. Yeah, we've we've been in Section 336.
8: 336. Well, I
1: mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334.
8: No, 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 Section 336. We're in Section 336.
1: Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night. Yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334.
8: But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336.
1: Yeah. And when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336.
8: Yes, yeah, so Section 336.
1: Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him.
8: Press box.
7: Find section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section 336.com. Hey, it's Glenn,
6: and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, no, podcast. No,
11: no, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best
7: wrestling yeah, that, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to jobbing out. Are you
6: kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out, Glenn Clark, Aaron hoster and A.J. Francis of the Washington Redskins. He's a Terp. Every week, we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com.
2: PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day.
6: Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise... I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I f- I'm,
7: they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay,
6: that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps.
7: I have the chaps that I have.
6: Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved.
7: How does that work?
6: Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may
7: qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com football.
6: There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army.
1: Back here on this special edition of the Bat Around, it's the best of the Bat Around. The producer Bonzatufa talking to you while Stan and Craig are out for this Thanksgiving weekend, and hopefully you're enjoying your long weekend. Do want to mention that tomorrow on ABC Two WMAR, it's Inside Press Box at 10:30 a.m. Eastern. That will also be a special edition, the best of Inside Press Box. It involves segments with former Oriole Boog Powell and the reunion of the 1967 Morgan State football team. That team went undefeated that year. Also, former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talks about the rotation issues for the Baltimore Orioles, and it's definitely not a new issue to talk about as they've been having that problem for what seems like forever. And hopefully we'll see what they do, who they'll get, because we know Bundy's going to stay. We know Gosman's going to stay. You might have Miguel Castro start, but after that, who are you going to get? R.A. Dickey, Vargas, Cobb? We'll find out. So that will do it for this best of edition of the Bat Around. We had interviews with Nick Kennedy, the founder of the Million Dollar Arms Symposium. Richie Bansells, longtime head athletic trainer of the Baltimore Orioles for 41 years in that organization, just retired after the 2017 season. Also had Susan Waldman, the Yankees broadcasting partner. Greg Olson, the former Orioles closer. Richard Justice from MOB.com and Casey Willett, the former Orioles producer and former Army veteran. If you wanna listen to the Best Of show, if you missed anything that you wanna hear again, you can go to Pressboxonline.com radio, look for the Bataround, and scroll down. And you'll find the archives with the whole best of edition of the Bataround, or you can keep scrolling further down and you'll find each individual interview as a track. Or You can go back to Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports after the show is over, and you can watch the whole two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour video stream if you would like. Remember, tomorrow you got the Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Ken Zalas, Sarita Hubbard, and Kyle Ottenheimer from 10 to 12. And then Monday through Friday, as always, you got the Glenn Clark Radio Show with Glenn Clark himself and Kyle Ottenheimer. Remember that on Monday night, the Houston Texans play the Baltimore Ravens at 8:30. At halftime, Project Game Day makes a return. Glenn Clark will talk about the football game, and also after the game, Project Game Day has a post-game edition. So make sure you tune into that on Monday night. That'll do it here for this best of edition of the Bat Next week, December second, I believe. Can you believe that it's already going to be December by the time we get back here next week? December 2nd will make a return where things will be a little bit back to normal. Now, we do have winter meetings coming up, so there will be a lot more to talk about as the weeks go on. But during this offseason here in the MOB, things are a little bit slow. But before you know it, things are going to heat up real quick. So, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bonzatufa for all the batterons saying stay blessed, and we will see you next week.